Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. The Rat Pack was a legendary group of entertainers that included Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, Joey Bishop, and Peter Lawford. They were America's first supergroup and crossover stars who were the absolute epitome of cool from the late 1950s to the mid-1960s. They made movies, recorded music, performed on stage, drank booze, and chased broads, usually all in the same day and all while wearing a suit. The Rat Pack also influenced the world around them. They helped turn Las Vegas into a destination, took on racial segregation years before the Civil Rights Movement, and played an important role in getting John F. Kennedy elected president. On today's sophisticated episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're going to enjoy ourselves a nice glass of Jack Daniels. We're talking about the men who put Vegas on the map. This story is a wild one that includes celebrity scandals, speakeasies, the mob, and the assassination of a president. Ladies and gentlemen, McCusker's Cocktail Lounge and Casino is proud to introduce a look at the Rat Pack with the prisoners of rock and roll. Please welcome Doug McCusker, Ryan McCusker, and Bruce Kramer, featuring the Rob Owens Orchestra. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April. Shot down in May, but I know I'm gonna change that tune when I'm back on top, back on top in June. I said that's life. All right, all right. Ring a ding ding, chicky baby. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode 14. So tonight we are talking about the Rat Pack. Man, this is a crazy story. Man, but it's a lot of class. This was something that um, I think all three of us, we wound up doing more research into this than any other topic we've done so so far. Just so interesting. You know, five different guys, you know, they all have a story. Really fascinating, fascinating story, man. Each one of them have their own have their own unique tale. And uh, like we said in the monologue, the, the some of the, the way they influence the world is just crazy. They they influence politics and fashion and, and everything else. There's so many themes here. I guess they were really rock stars in their own ways. It's so like a huge part of like popular culture, even through our lives growing up. Like we always had that background of Sinatra and the Rat Pack. Yeah, let's, uh, let's name the Rat Pack, the famous Rat Pack anyway. It's Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Joey Bishop, and Peter Lawford. And probably not everybody who's listening to us knows, I mean, everybody knows Sinatra, and you know Dean Dean Martin, Martin. and you know Sammy Davis Jr. The other two guys you don't know that much about, maybe you do. But, um, you know, I think the way we're going to tackle this is we're going to talk a little bit about the Rat Pack and who they were and what they meant. And then we're going to take a step back and we're going to walk you through a little bit, a story on each one of these gentlemen. And, uh, you know, at some point they all kind of cross over. You know, I, before we do that, I got to say, gentlemen, the, the tuxedos that you guys are wearing tonight look thank you. fantastic. Thank you, thank you, sir. The job you guys did at the bar, too, putting the balloons up. Ryan, I don't even know where you found the white tuxedo. You look yeah, like Humphrey Bogart. That? Dude, um, I wore this at my prom. <laughs> yeah, you did. You, you know, and... Um, and it still I, fits. That's amazing. It is, it is amazing. Humphrey Bogart's one of my 
favorite celebrities of all time. So I figured I'd go Casablanca style. And it's, it's funny about that. So did the Rat Pack start with Humphrey Bogart? It did. It was one of his little groups that he had of celebrities. They, you know, they were they were a pack of guys. You know, actually, it wasn't just guys. There was a bunch of dames in there too. <laughs> dames, but um, yeah, I think it wasn't like Errol Flynn, Nat King Cole, Mickey, Mickey Rooney, Rooney, Jerry Lewis, and Cesar Romero. They were all part of the yeah, original but, Rat Pack. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, Judy Garland was a big part of the Rat Pack of the original Rat Pack. Elizabeth Taylor, Catherine Hepburn, they were all like. Hanging out, I guess. What a crowd. What a crowd. Yeah. They I even mean, had like a coat of arms yeah. at one time. It was like a uh, a rat gnawing on a human hand through the groups with motto was the rat never rats on a rat or something yeah, like that. Yeah, never rat on a rat. Yeah. So I guess and there's a couple of different stories of where the name the Rat Pack came from. But one of the famous ones was that Humphrey Bogart and all of his friends went out on a bender for a couple of days. And they came home and they're hanging out in his house. And Humphrey Bogart's... Uh, wife lauren bacall walked in and just said you guys look like a goddamn rat pack and <laughs> yeah. they're all hung over later yeah. and the name kind of stuck and then i guess after um bogart when humphrey bogart passed away sinatra kind of becomes the guy of mm-hmm. of the rat pack and then makes it his own his own thing it was kind of funny like the 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 rat pack as we know them uh before they were the rat pack they were called the clan which kind of fell out of favor because yeah, of the, yeah. Sammy, the wrong, you know. the, the different clan, and then um, or the summit, the summit. And I think the Rat Pack, as you know, Sinatra, and then the rest of the gentlemen in that and his crew, they never referred to themselves as a Rat Pack. Yeah, Sinatra said he hated it. Yeah, he no, didn't like it. They, uh, you know, it was they were called the Summit, or like like, like when you guys said like the clan, but they were too cool for a name. This, I agree with that. You know, I, de- I definitely agree. They with were that. too cool for a name. <laughs> Um, there's just guys, a bunch of friends getting together, you know, they didn't have a name for it in the beginning, you know, they just evolved into that, I guess. They were just a bunch of classy guys that, a bunch of talented guys, talented, classy guys. Yeah. I mean, they're, and they're really the first super group in Okay. Music. Okay. okay. They're like go. the traveling wheel yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, and they were and they're they're crossover stars, right? Because they made I never movies thought of that. and they made um, they danced, they yeah. sang, they they did like comedy, they yeah. did all this stuff and a lot of improv. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're so synonymous with Vegas too. Like they they really had a huge role in making Vegas like a thing, like a destination. I guess we'll get into that. When we start telling the story of all yeah. these guys, but it's crazy. Yeah, you know, they made Vegas um not so much what it is now, but what it first idea was was the glamour and the of the the glitter and everything. It was very classy. Uh you see movies like Casino, they kind of touch on how the how classy it was. Um, they set the idea, like the standard for what Vegas should be. Yeah, you know, this is why people want to go fly to Vegas. They, and not even like these movies that they made or whatever. You know, I'm sure Vegas was like, well, we're going to build off of this, build off this persona of this swanky like nightclub. You know, one night you can be walking down through the casino and see Dean Martin like uh, dealing blackjack. Yeah, they, they had a uh, Vegas had a hard time when it started. It didn't really start picking up until. Frank and the boys were going out there making a you know making a big sound at the Sands Casino, you know this the the scene out of Godfather when Michael s- says to the singer you know maybe you and your friends can come and play that's totally Frank Sinatra in yeah. the Sands Studio uh, Sands Casinos that was their headquarters that was their clubhouse was the Sands the Copa Room at the Sands yeah, yeah and know? I guess yeah, we'll get into that like. 
you know, Vegas gets put on the map and it has a lot of money from investors and it has a lot of money from the mob. Sure. And then they decide that they need a people, you know, a reason to draw people out there to spend their money and gamble. And the mob had some ties to Sinatra and they, and, and he's the biggest star on yeah, the planet. Yeah, that's that kind of how yeah. they get him out there. But I mean, before we start diving into this, man, let's let's kind of talk a little bit about like I don't know they, at their peak. So they they convinced the studios they're shooting Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. right? And they're the movie that they're all in, and it really starts their career. And it's a movie about Vegas. Thanks. Yeah, and they were shooting that during the day, and then at night they were doing two shows at the Sands, and then after that they were most of them were going out all night and doing their. Doing their thing. That's a that's a rough paper route. I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, no, they're guys, out. They're partying. You know, they're they're yeah. they're running around with dames. And they said like those shows that week, the the stretch of shows that they did at the Sands. They said every single hotel room in Vegas was booked. You couldn't get a room to see them. They said people were like sitting out in their car waiting to see them pull in. Yeah, people couldn't find hotel rooms, so they were sleeping in their cars just to, to go to the show. Yeah, that's what I meant. You know. Yeah, and, it um, was a, it was an epic show. I wonder if, if any, you know, this is like before the Beatles, this is before Elvis, this is before a lot of big acts. Do you think anybody ever slept in their car, like drove to Vegas and slept in their car to go see, lucky enough to get a ticket to the show? To, yeah. to anybody and at you're that talking, time. You're not yeah. talking about big arenas here. You're talking about little cocktail lounges, yeah. you know? Yeah, so they said that like I guess by the by the end or at the peak of that they said like over a million people a year were going to Vegas just because they wanted to see these guys. It's yeah. just it's amazing and you know and, and everything they had their own language you know with like dames and broads and all that other kind of stuff yeah. and you know they they always did it wearing a suit. Yeah, you, know, you you never even saw them without a tie or maybe if they had their tie loosened a little bit that was as yeah. cash as they yeah. got. Yeah, now now it's not the the slobs going out to Vegas <laughs> in their flip flops. Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah. I've never been to Vegas, but if if Vegas was still wave of Ocean's Eleven, Rich, I'd be out there. Yeah, in a heartbeat. I, I've been there twice. Uh, I've always said to you, I think you would you would like it. I've um, been there twice. I'm not a gambler. I'm not this. I'm not that. But, but I love Vegas. But they, you know, weed's legal there, so I think I would have. A there's really a lot good of time. things that are legal out yeah. there. There's Vegas. a lot of there's a, there's a vice for everybody. There's a reason why people Las go Vegas. out to Vegas, and they have that slogan: "What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas." Oh, I got to go out there, Big Daddy. <laughs> All right, so they are the epitome of cool. Hang on, let me let me flag down the the cocktail broad here to get another Jack Daniels. I'm yeah, actually hang drinking. On. I'm actually drinking my Jack Daniels the way Sinatra drank it. So he had a what it was a four fingers of Jack Daniels, a splash of water, and four ice cubes. So in a glass. And he likes to punch somebody in the face. As punch him in the it. right. Punch him in the mouth. So, yeah, chicky baby. All right, I got my cocktail. I got my highball glass. You know the Rat Pack. They ruled Vegas, man. Here's five guys that never finished high school and overcame everything of the disadvantage with talent. Bogard made Sinatra part of his own crew, the Rat Pack. You know, a lot of people came out and saw the Rat Pack. Um, at one point, JFK came out and saw those guys perform, and so it was star-studded every night, every night. Um, they were, like you said, they were filming Ocean's Eleven during the day, and they were partying, gigging at night. It must have been magical. It was like a scene. Like, it was just a place to be. And even the guy, I mean, the lesser-known guys in there, like Joey Bishop and Peter Lawford, they even on their own have a really interesting story about their lives. They all know? have. They all have like their own stories in here. Like you get like it is. It is a real shame that people just break it down into three guys. They're three main guys, right? You know, yeah. Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr. But they, all all five of these guys have tremendous like uh, careers before this. And yeah. there's there's so much just like 
tragedy in this story too just yeah, like well, bad a lot of good times comes with a lot of bad things yeah like yeah. all five of them have have sad moments in their lives it's really it's really a crazy story man it's but you guys were talking about how people were sleeping in their cars and doing whatever they could to see this gig it said 34,000 people went to vegas for four weeks stretch of shows 34,000 people went to go see them or tried to see them at one point. Like you said, how many? Well, probably about 1,300. Sure. Yeah. You know? And it was crazy. Like they would have on the casino, different casinos because they were playing different like casinos on the strip. They would have like Sammy Davis Jr. playing the Flamingo. And it would say maybe Dean, maybe Frank, you know, because these guys would just show up at this, you know, Show up to these shows and just do this improv thing because these guys were tight. Yeah, you know? if one of them were playing somewhere, chances are pretty good that the other ones are going to show up to support them. Could you imagine? And that? all that impromptu yeah. stuff. Like, you know, Sinatra was already making movies at the time. Dean Martin was a rock star yeah. before any of this. He's probably like yeah. just as big as Sinatra. And you just walk into a club and you see these things that you just you've seen on a movie screen. And there they are right in front of you. Yeah. And like, then, you know, you didn't have like social media back then. You didn't have it like, like not necessarily force fed you, but you didn't, couldn't go to your phone when he says like, you only had so many outlets to see your favorite singer, your favorite star. And there they are in front of you. I, th- that amazes me. Like, and that's a great point because you know, even as we were doing the research for this, there's not a lot of video of them no. together, right? There's like the one yeah. TV special that they did. They, there's one with um, Johnny Carson. Johnny of Carson Bishop. looked like he's out of yeah. this league, man. But you're right; it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't filmed. Yeah. It was that wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, Dean Martin was an absolute star from his thing with with Jerry Lewis. Frank Sinatra was like the most popular singer and the most popular actor sure. in the country. Yeah. You know, he yeah. was like both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you got just those two together coming together. And then the other three, it's just, you can't understate how monumental that was as a culture movement at no. that time. You got to call Sinatra to come back kid. Absolutely. You, you know, man, he, he's faced a lot of overcomes in his life, starting with when he was born. Sinatra was born December 12th, 1915. I know his mom was a midwife. I know <clears throat> the father was a firefighter at one point. He was a bar owner at one a point. Bar, yeah. Sinatra's mother had a lot to do with politics. All right, so Sinatra's like background, like, you know, his mother was like a really strong woman. When they owned the bar, the bar was called Marty O'Brien's. It was mob. You know, if mm. you call it, it the, the initials, it was Mob Marty O'Brien's. They said, you know, if you're going to open a bar, you have to name it after an Irish name. Sounds like somebody else we know said that too. Yeah, you know, um, at one point Sinatra was a boxer. He had to use an Irish name. It, actually, his boxing name was Marty O'Brien. So I guess his father named the bar after his boxing <laughs> name, possibly. Yeah, let's go back to Sinatra's mother real fast. Like she was an immigrant from uh, Italy. Her name was Dolly. She was like a really strong woman for you know what women did those days. She was a, like a big activist against how, how Italian Americans were raised upon, like they were treated like they were second class citizens. Yeah, and people she, really and looked like up that. to her. Yeah. No, they a, really looked and up to her. A lot of her. people listened to her too. Yeah. Um, and his father was like a fireman. Her father did a lot. His father did a lot of things. At one point, like we were saying, he owned a bar, mm. but. Ultimately, he became a firefighter. Yeah, I think he was fire chief. Um, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, but yeah, I'm sure he went up high in the ranks. And when his when his dad owned the bar, Frank Sinatra would go down there and sing along with the player yeah. piano. Yeah, and he was a to, young kid. 
you know, growing up in the bar, I know what it's like to be a young kid in the bar. You know, it's it's kind of embarrassing to a point because everybody's making paying attention to you. They would put Frank up on this on this piano, and it start ripping out songs, and he hears this little kid singing. You know, and what was it? He made a nickel or a dime. He's like, this is the racket to be in. Yeah, he really idolized Bing Crosby. We talked a little bit about mm-hmm. in our Christmas yeah. episode. And he wanted to he wanted to sing like Bing Crosby. Yeah, very passionate about learning how to sing. Sinatra even took singing lessons. He uh, dropped out of school, made his parents really pissed off about that. Um, his dad went, went nothing but had, has his son to have an education. His first singing group that he was in was called the Hoboken Four. They did like a little little tour around America. They were getting little hits here and there, but Frank, you know, ultimately wanted it to be a solo artist. Yeah, his mom convinced this group called the Three Flashes to let him in, and you know he became the fourth member, so they became the Hoboken Four. And the other guy said they let him in because he had a car and he could drive him <laughs> around. But um, at the same time, Sinatra got thrown out of his house when he was seventeen years old. Like, yeah, he was yeah. Asked, but it was different times back then. You know, you were a man yeah. by then. So that they went on like a um uh, a show called the Major Bose Amateur Hour, and they were a hit, and that kind of like propels them. And I guess the the audience was really impressed with Sinatra, mm-hmm. and that helps vault him forward. Now, is this before they like before we start the show? You guys are talking about like you know he had to go out and buy a microphone and yeah. Um, first, before he sang into a microphone, he he had um, a megaphone like you see like an old time cheerleader have, right, right? And he would sing out of that. You know, all the booze hounds would take pennies and try to get, throw, it in. throw it inside of him. So he, he would have to move around with it around, you know, but he came up with about 60 something dollars and he bought, a, had a little, little amp and a microphone and it changed a game changer for him. Can you it, imagine? And we've talked a lot about like, like technology, how that plays into like, you know, moving forward musicians, whether it's the, uh, you know, the amp breaking and sun records and all this other stuff. And he said like, he's also starting to, his career is taking off as like, Radios are going into homes, sure. and jukeboxes yeah. are a thing, and phonographs are becoming popular. And I guess before, like the microphone and amp, it was like the singer would get drowned out. Maybe that's why, like a lot of big band music doesn't have a vocalist because mm-hmm. you can't hear them over this stuff. But like you see some, like some of those old footage. Um, see how powerful Sinatra's voice yeah. is to sing on top of all those horns and drums and everything, and he's coming out as clear as day. Yeah, and he's not yelling, so they no. like he's able no. to use his full vocal range while other singers at the time were trying to shout over somebody, and it doesn't sound as good. But that's why Sinatra, like by himself, like when we were doing research for a show, I reached out to my friend in Philly, Mark Chicky Baby, and he's you know just kept on emphasizing like the projection of Sinatra's voice and the, the like what notes he can hit. He was and, a master. Dude, he's unreal vocalist. So, you know, was he's probably the best at the time, you know, like yeah, best of all time. He said he would um he would go swimming and train like holding his breath swimming underwater because he wanted to be able to hold those notes really really long and he practiced uh holding the mic a certain way and moving it away from his mouth and closer so he could depending on what he was singing yeah. about he would raise the intensity of his voice and it was like he's using it like an instrument it's it's really cool yeah, i never knew how i never gave sinatra credit until like a few years ago and i saw how he was such a great singer he was such a great singer that he wrote a book about singing he did yeah, he did. You know how to make the the lips move, how to how to make syllables, how to, you know. I wish I had that book. Yeah, he uh, he did a recording 
of this song, Old Man River, and it's a really popular uh, recording that he did, and it really uh, shows out you know, the, the levels of projection that his voice could do. He hits like a low E at one point, and then he hits a, like, I, I'm not going to get totally nerd out on this. And he, he climbs the level within like two measures. And it's, dude, it's impressive. It's crazy. Like his range. He's, he's, I don't think he necessarily gets the credit for that. You know, when you're around for so long, I think, you know, your credit wears off. It's like, oh, you're just taking it for just, granted. But then you just, you get that thing like, oh, well, you have another artist. I'm like, oh, you sound like Sinatra. Like you said with the Bruce earlier, you said like, oh, uh, you know, how do you move the microphone, this and that. That's something you saw him do throughout his whole career, even like yeah. toward the and end you, of it. And you take you know? it for granted. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of this, man, it's like you just, I, I don't know, man. I don't know how people think, like when you think of him, like he's Frank Sinatra. Okay. Like he's this iconic voice. But do you really know that people really know that like he had all these ups and downs in his careers or some of the really sure there's some dark shit in this. There, yeah, there's some dark stuff in I this mean, story. Just he was, was stillborn at the beginning of his life. He his mom had difficulty giving him birth. So he was basically stillborn. His yeah, grandma took him into the into the into the kitchen and ran him under cold water. Yeah, they said like when he was born, he was like blue and the doctor just kind of like. Uh, and like put him down and yeah. went to attend to his mom. Yeah, and his his grandma grabbed him, and he has um he has a scar on his face from like he four called him Scarface as a kid. Yeah, trying to trying to get him out of his mom's womb. Yeah, crazy. And that ultimately led red led to him not being able to serve in the military in World War Two. Yeah, well, a lot of people called him like a draft dodger. And this, yeah, we'll get to this that. and that. But you know, but the- Sinatra, you know, he, he was with the Hoboken Four. He got homesick real fast and wanted to. Get out of it. He wanted to go solo. He, he moved back home. Like Doug said, his father kicked him out. Basically said, you know, you got to go out on your own. You're, you're grown up. Go do your thing. So Sinatra moved to New York. Um, before you know it, he had a break. He, had a, he, he got a regular gig at a place called the Rustic Cabin. Um, the Rustic Cabin had a local radio show. was broadcast there every night. Frank had a group was on the radio every night at from 11 to 11:15. Right off the bat he's successful. He's on the radio, he's getting a name for himself. And I would imagine too if this is the time where radios are starting to come into your home, there's probably not a whole lot of like options. It's not like we watch no. TV now and there's 7,000 no, different there's things channels. on. Yeah. So if he's on, he's he's in everybody's home. Yeah, you know, he was so successful that they put him on at night now. He he had a show in the morning. And then he had a show at night, like after he was playing the rest of the cabin, that he like rushed over to the, another studio to sing at night with Diane Shaw. They would have a little, little set. So here's Frank singing in a little club at night, and he's on the radio from eleven to eleven fifteen, and then jumps in the car and goes all the way up to Manhattan. And jumps on the radio at like midnight. So we're talking, this is like the 1930s. Yeah. This is going on. Yeah. So I guess in 41, he wins Billboard's like best male vocalist. And I think that starts like a string of like several years in a row mm. that he wins that award. But all the guys in the country are off fighting the war and all the women are home listening, lo- Sinatra, listening to him. And he yeah. be, he's like, he's also one of the first like sex symbols sure. in music. You know, he's. Man, you go back and you Beale watch Mania some, had nothing on him, no. dude. And he played like broad. He was just playing on Broadway. Like you know, it was. If you've seen some of the footage of that, girls are just going bananas over him. Like sold out houses yeah. on the street. They like, would wait. Like they would get there like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and it said the line would wrap wrap around. 
the corner. He said Sinatra said he, one day he did five shows in one day. Sure. Yeah, he really changed the game up with his his vocal stylings. Um, of course, there was Bing Crosby out at the time. I mean, even Frank idolized Bing at the beginning. But, you know, he was with Tommy Dorsey for a while, and he was like, why Why wouldn't I want to do this for myself? Like, why am I playing with this guy when, of course, I'm the draw. I'm the guy. So, you know, first he says to Tommy Dorsey, I went out of my contract, and Tommy kind of laughs at him and kind of – Whatever. Right, you're out of your mind. And then, like six months later, Sinatra comes back and he says, "No, really, I want to get." And he's like, "Get the." It's like you're here to stay, buddy. It's like you ain't going nowhere. Get comfortable. So you know, you know the story, Sinatra. Everybody says he he got the mob got it, got him to get get him out of his contract. But you know, really got him out of the contract was a lawyer, mm-hmm. a big shot lawyer. Dorsey Dorsey got a pretty good deal when when Frank left him. For the rest of Frank's life, he's going to get one-third of Sinatra's salary no for the rest of his life. No kidding. Wow. I never heard that. Yeah. And well, that, that's what he had to do to get out of the contract. Wow. Right after he got out of Dorsey, um, Sinatra um, started playing the Paramount Theater. He sold out um, like four nights in a row on just out of nowhere, just being a nobody. He was doing so well at the Paramount Theater he got an offer to open New Year's Eve for Benny Goodman. And also, they're, they're playing a Bing Crosby movie. So all of a sudden, here's this skinny Italian guy going from rags to riches. He's on the radio one day, and the next day, he's opening New Year's Eve for Benny Goodman. And Benny Goodman doesn't even know who Frank Sinatra was. And he was yeah. like, yeah, okay. And then Sinatra takes a stage, and all the girls go crazy. Sure. And Benny Goodman's like, what is the going on? And it's that. Right. What is that? And it's like, it's the same reaction as like Elvis going on TV or the Beatles, but it's 1940. No, Benny Goodman never heard a scream like that. He legendary turned around to the band and said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it's, it like startled him. Yeah. It's, it's 22 years before Elvis goes on Ed Sullivan. And, and it's like, do you think that was like the first of its time, like reaction like that, like a fan reaction where people just scream their heads off? I don't Bobby, know. The Bobby socks. Yeah. Like you think of it like, okay, he's 22 years before Elvis. You had Benny Goodman before Sinatra. Yeah. Maybe yeah, you you know, back. You know, maybe there was opera singers. There, maybe. They had groupies for opera singers. I don't know. But, you know. And the only thing I could think of, man, that like even reference this is like Looney Tunes commercial uh, cartoons because they would have the guy exactly. that looked like Sinatra yeah. and the girls would the chickens would like yeah 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 fawn and yeah. fall over and in the microphone melt yeah and it's like and I don't I don't I I don't know if that's been like people know that that people like in the 40s people were going nuts they were going ape shit over him. yeah but the, you know Elvis gets that like people were like oh my god like people are going like with the whole the female fan part of all this people were like couldn't really understand this and ban elvis did anybody try to ban sinatra because of like what he made young girls think yeah it, they was called the fbi <laughs> and they said that he i mean he really puts an end to like big band music yeah without yeah. without a vocalist yeah so he plays new year's eve with benny goodman and he just kills it benny goodman comes out he plays sing 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 tears up the crowd and then once frank sinatra comes out everybody goes ape shit and the girls are screaming so hard. Well, after he had that successful radio show that New Year's, he sold out two weeks at the Paramount Theater. Then he would do his radio show again at night. Um, so, so this is this is 
what the early forties yeah. that this is going on. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know what a ticket at the Paramount cost, but I'd imagine a lot of people didn't have a lot of money for like entertainment stuff going on no, during the war, right? No, Everybody's yeah, you got ration coupons and all that other kind of stuff, and people are still <laughs> flocking to like see. There him. was a girl in, the, in her interview. She's like, "We didn't have bread on the shelf, but we had money to go to the Sinatra concerts." I think at a lot of time they had these radio shows playing. On, I'm sorry, they had these shows playing on the radios at at like on Friday nights and Saturday nights, so you would have access to. It, but seeing it live, yeah, would be completely, absolutely different. You know? Let's play a tune. Yeah, man. What do you want to hear? Let's play Luck Be a Lady. Luck Be a Lady is one of my favorite Sinatra songs. You might forget your manners. You might refuse to stay. And so the best that I can do is pray. Like, you can just see that, like, here, just for example, for that song, even though it's a later recording than what we're talking about, just his range that he he he, he climbs and, and falls. Like, right before the band comes yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, and I guess, well, we should point out some of the songs that we're, we're going to play throughout the show, not necessarily tied to the time that we're talking about, because we do this chronologically about Frank Sinatra and his I'll recording career. Yeah. We'll be here for five <laughs> hours. So we're just going to kind of sprinkle in some stuff, and he didn't necessarily record this in the 1940s, but you know, nope. we want to keep giving some examples of this awesome music. Yeah, he has some great tunes. I want to go back and talk about Sinatra uh, with the draft. He had a punctured eardrum. Doug, you Sounds had pun- familiar. Yeah, Doug has a punctured eardrum. He, that would have yeah. kept you out of the service. It did. It did. They yeah. called me draft dodger for years. Yeah. The servicemen hated him because, you know, he was staying home while while all the troops were going out to World War II. And, you know, Sinatra was getting a bad rep being a, a draft dodger and everything and all their, like that. all their dames and broads are sitting at home yeah. checking him out, swooning over him. So what happened again, they reexamined him. Because he's a celebrity. So they're like, you know, we're going to reexamine, make sure, you know, and the legend. He, so he got turned down again. Mm. But they were saying, no, he paid the psychiatrist $40,000 to get him out of, out of, out of the um, military. The military. Like the, what do they call it? Um, 4F? 4F. Yeah. Yeah. But so the doctor's like, no way. He has a punctured eardrum. There's no way he could ever be in a firing ground and like go, he'll go deaf. And is that from his his birth, the difficult birth that, that was, he had? That was from his birth. So he yes. had the scar and, and his the left punctured. ear is all all fucked up, and he's got a scar on his face. You know, he had a really bad birth, which just makes it even more crazy that he had a punctured eardrum, and he has that voice. You know, like he's he's this such an important figure in American music. Hey man, and, maybe that made him sing a little bit better because he can hear the tones I better. Think so. And I can honestly vouch for that. You can hear differently with the tones from your voice. I, yeah. You know. Yeah. So I think that might have been an advantage to him throughout his career. Yeah, like the beginning he felt of the it, vibrations. Yeah. Really interesting. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's it's true. I so, can see that. Yeah, he was re- he was rejected again. So, you know, Sinatra wants to get into acting. So he starts to take some acting work and starts learning the dance. Um, so he wants to get some some roles, you know. Um, so he starts doing that. Um, he was doing this gig one day. 
in the in the band was called the Will the Will Meston Trio. Now the Will Meston Trio was basically Sammy Davis Jr. as a child. It was his father and his uncle, and they had a group. And a ten year old Sammy Davis Jr. saw an eighteen year old Frank Sinatra, and Frank Sinatra goes up to him and said, "Hey kid, you got something special. You you know stick to it, kind of thing." You know, Sammy Davis Jr. said that was like, you know, God telling you. Keep it up. He like right away, he felt like, like I got this, I'm under this guy's wing, you know, which will come later in in the story. How um, And they were doing like, kind of like the Will Madison trio was like vaudeville kind of like, he was like yeah. tap dancing yeah, yeah. And, and doing this other yeah. kind of stuff. Which, but, but it's funny though, you know, you know. Uh, Sammy took that such such with such heart that Sinatra said to him, "He did, dude." By the time Sinatra talked to him, imagine the thousands of thousands and thousands of stage time hours Sammy has on Sinatra already. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Oh yeah, and he still took that as a big yeah. point of his life. That's interesting. By no, so. what a I guess great just respect him that much. You know, there was a lot of like first generation Americans, so there was a lot of r- racial things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Sinatra made a, an anti-racial film. It changed the opinion on people's way of thinking about immigrants. He won an Academy Award for it. Yeah, what was it called? Uh, the House I Live In, I think it was yeah. called. Yeah. It, it, it's actually really, really cool like to watch now, too. I just recently watched out as we were doing um, research for this. Uh, he makes a speech, in it, and it shows Sinatra speaking about anti-Semitism. Yeah, in that movie, uh, he had a, like a little speech in there that really, really made me think. And for the times, it was really – I don't think anybody was really like talking like this. He goes on and says like, look, fellas, religion makes no difference except for a Nazi or somebody stupid. People all over the world are worth more than what – just a, a color of their skin basically or anything like that. He's like, God created everybody. He did not create one group of people better than another. Your blood is the same as mine as yours is. And the same as his. You know, he was just trying to... Like, Sinatra was just trying to break down barriers before it was fashionable to break down. I think he meant it, though. No, he did. Sinatra was a guy from the streets. And he was also discriminated against because he was Italian-American. And and it's something that he carried... He never wanted anybody else to feel the way that he felt. Like, he just... Yeah, that's a good point. He wore that as a part of his identity, which he doesn't get a lot of credit for in his life. We'll get to that point later on, what he did for the, the civil rights movement in america yeah doing that get, winning that oscar makes now sinatra uh, yeah a, a very popular yeah guy. he was already a household name like he, this guy just exploded he, he just explodes all, he it. hit all the all the nails on the head from coming out of the gate you know so now sinatra has a couple bucks he's like i can do whatever i want but yeah you know what he decides to do i'm gonna go hang out in cuba for a while mm. so sinatra goes out and hangs out in cuba with all the gangsters getting like really like tight with them and he, he was getting criticized for that. They put a wire on him, you know, because they thought that he was he was laundering like uh, money and drugs from Cuba to America. Yeah, you know, you know, Frank was becoming this wannabe almost. Like he was hanging out gangsters, and he was trying to play gangster himself. Or they wanted to be him. Is that yeah. where he meets? Because there's the one mob guy from Atlantic City, Skinny D'Amato, that has a yeah. huge part in his career. Is that where they meet, or was Frank I, I going? I think to- that's. I think that's when he meets him at the Five Hundred Club. In Atlantic, on, so he's playing. Okay, City. so he's playing Atlantic City. Yeah, and this that's is where like, him. Yeah, right now he's like I'm saying like he was hanging out in Cuba when Cuba was open. You know, with right. the casinos and hanging out with the gangsters out in casinos. Okay, out there. Gotcha. Um, pretty so, much Godfather too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like you know now like everybody's watching him. He's celebrity. He's in the newspaper. He's hanging out with Castro supposedly. They're calling him a red. They're like you know now you know they're calling him all kinds of names and he's just really having a hard time. No, he's, he's still he's young. Making bad he's, decisions. <laughs> and he's still like his early thirties. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's mean, like he's twenty nine in nineteen forty four. I written my notes. Yeah. So. Hey man, if a bunch of guys want to fly you somewhere, you've never been out in New York or New Jersey. Or like the coast of Chicago, or whatever. And somebody's like, "Hey, you want to come? Sure, let's yeah, go." Yeah, why not? But you know, by this time, Frank has a family. You know, he's married his first wife. He has three kids. Frank is a huge womanizer. Something that his wife knew, but she kept with him anyway. Frank Sinatra one meets Ava Gardner and knocks his socks off, like stops him dead tracks, and he falls in love with her. Well, he's fallen in love with the idea of him being a celebrity, and nobody's going ever going to say no to him, you know, because he's the heartthrob, the teen, the teen idol, or whatever well, you want to say. Ava Gardner was just like him, though. Sure, like strong drinking. Yeah, they're bullheaded. They're both self-destructive people at yeah. that time. Yeah. So, like they they start seeing each other. Like she's a home wrecker. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, she's she's really not. She doesn't look that great in this part of the story. You know, uh, I heard a story that. He would get drunk with her and then roll up to his, his mansion where his wife lived and scream, like, just divorce me. Just, oh, just yeah. let me go. Like, you know, yeah. there was one yeah. time he had Ava call his wife on the phone and said, will you just give him a divorce already? Yeah. It was really. Uh, I mean, I, I, Ava Gardner is a shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know like if but, she was be worth all that. Frank was an asshole. Yeah, well, but he, from, from, mean, from all this research that I did, this is the most this is the part of his life that I really didn't like him that much. Well, he, yeah. was, he was on down low on that. He was yeah. like, he was coming down off the high of being like this new thing. And now yeah. he's yesterday's news. Yeah. His, his career was kind of make taking like a backtrack. He wasn't the thing anymore. And yeah, he was like, he's making some bullshit movies. Yeah. You know? He was forgettable. Yeah. You know? um, but then he gets into, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. He's he, now he wants to re amp his career. I, th- I think before you move on, we should emphasize that a little bit. So he had this huge—I mean, he's the number one singer, and and then a couple years later, he he starts to fall out of favor. Yesterday's news, pretty man. Yeah. pretty really quickly. Yeah, and it's like I don't know, man. Maybe in in modern times, it's hard to th- to think of that that he has these peaks and valleys in his career. But you're right, he he's kind of washed up by yeah. then. By like, I mean, he's not even yeah, thirty a, yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's the industry, man. That, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah, he was working. Even though he wasn't popular, he was still working hard. There's this guy, Mitch Miller. He's famous for writing what's, How Much Is That Doggy in the Window. Okay. He wrote a lot of songs, like comedy mm. kind of you know, yeah. pop songs. And he wants Sinatra to make an album. And he makes an album with Sinatra. And it totally flops. Really? Yeah, and Sinatra wants to kill him. He's like, you're, you killed my whole lifestyle. Or my whole like personality, persona, like I'm not, yeah. I'm not cool anymore. It was like, it, it was did, like, did he make him sing? My it, who's like, who's, how much like is a, that dog in the window? It was, yeah, it was, it was like that. It was like a duet with somebody. Well, who told him to do that? He was trying. Who, who to was his manager? He like, didn't have a manager at that. time. Really, he didn't have one. He was getting drunk all the time with Ava Gardner and just yeah. yeah. But he and nobody liked Sinatra at that point. He was being a jerk to everybody. Yeah, you know, Sinatra. He's out there playing a gig um, somewhere, and his throat hemorrhages. Okay. He starts spitting up blood right in the middle of his song. Goes to the hospital. They say, listen, you got to take it easy for a little while here. Um, he's like, how can I take it easy? I'm, I want to be a star. I, I have ambitions. To, you know, he's like, you're going you're gonna to go against the odds? He's like, I will beat the odds. 
So he heals up. You know, he finally gets divorced. Days after that, he marries Ava Gardner. <laughs> well, he, he walks out on his wife in like 1950. And he's not divorced yet, but he announces plans that he's going to marry Ava Gardner. And the people just turn on him. In, that, they in the start, country, imagine that. They start like, right, and that's like one of the first like sex scandals in like sure. music. Yeah. And she then the, was gorgeous, man. I don't think anybody could say no to her. It's a Hollywood scandal, and the fans just start writing all these letters to MGM, just complaining. And yeah, the studio yeah. goes to him and goes like, "Dude, you got to stop." Sure, and he wouldn't do it. And so they they canned him. NGM canceled his con his movie contract, and his wife. Yeah, he finally his wife finally he gets his divorce in 1951. So it's like two three years later. Do you mess? You know when he was hurt, nobody reached out to him. I guess he's been such an asshole to everyone. You know nobody wanted to help him. You, you, every, you know, every, everybody you know who, just likes you when you're on top, man. You That's know it. who had his back the whole time was the mob. Was the mob the yeah, one group yeah. that never turns his back on him? His family. By this point of the story, he's got some connections with the mob. So mm-hmm. Ryan was talking about him going to um, you know, to Cuba, Cuba. Yeah. and at some point he goes to Atlantic City and he starts playing some gigs at a place called the Five Hundred Club, and he meets a mobster named Skitty D'Amato, and um. Skinny D'Amato plays a role in getting Sinatra into Vegas, but we'll get to that. we got a couple more things to talk about. Yeah, there's still just a few things to talk about before Frank goes to Vegas and makes the, the Rat Pack. But like we were saying, Frank's down on his luck. He can't, he can't win anything. But he reads for a part from a movie called From Here to Eternity. Before he could even get, he couldn't get the job. Like going back to the, going back to the Godfather, the scene where. Uh, when it, he says, like, there's just part for the, me, that's perfect. I, mean, I wouldn't even have to yeah, be Yeah, he reads yeah. the book and he's like, this is, this is written the, for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, it was basically like that. It's him. Yeah. It's, but all in all, he said the mob didn't get him the gig. Ava Gardner got him the gig. Which isn't too out of the question. I mean, she's a huge star. She is. She was a huge star. She was a huge star, but you know, from here in turn, he was was made for Frank. You know, he he was perfect for the role when he got it. He got his shit together, and he was like, "I'm gonna get this this movie role," and he got it. I I had read too that he like he auditions for that part, and the uh, the movie theater the or the movie studio goes like, "All right, well, we'll, we'll get back to you. Mm. We'll let you know." Yeah, and he kind of. You know, his career's in a tailspin, is not doing well, so he gets upset. So he goes to Africa to see Ava Gardner, because mm-hmm. she's making Mugambo. Yeah. And he gets there, and he's watching her on the set, but she's with Clark Gable. Oh. And they're having, like, romance on the, they, uh, the... The characters are having romance. So he gets all jealous, and then he, he leaves. So he gets even more upset. And he really... I think he... He's comparing himself to Ava Gardner. Like, there's there's jealousy here. Sure. Oh, that, that, that her career man. is yeah. going up. I think that was foreplay for them. Yeah, you know, a, like, like piss each other off. And he struggles with this. Like, this is the time when Frank becomes Frank. Like, he he makes this movie. Between the movie coming out, he signs the Capitol Records, and he records "World on a String" and "Don't Worry About Me." You want to hear a little bit of that, "World on a String"? I've got the world on a string Sitting on a rainbow Got the string around my finger What a world, what a life I'm in love I got a song that I sing 
I can make the rain go. Now hearing like all this stuff that Frank's going through and everything like that, and then he records a song. It is it's almost like a uh, a letter to himself, like things are gonna get better. Well, he met the guy who's gonna change his life. Right. His name was Nelson Riddle. Okay, right on. Nelson Riddle was conductor at Capitol Records. He brought Sinatra's back, he, like his sound. Mm-hmm. He he gave him the orchestra more of a powerful so like feeling, but he made Sinatra's voice the major main attraction of the recording you know you're you're playing with benny goodman and everything like that the orchestra is the main thing you know the vocals way down and this is like right after that track how many years after that tragedy was voice when he's spitting up blood and everything i don't like know that. probably a couple years probably a couple of years yeah. yeah and so he was ready to go back in yeah he yeah felt but, strong enough yeah but well, th- this was like you know he's on his way back up like i said he did from, from here, here to eternity, to eternity he gets, knocks he gets, it out of the park. He wins the Oscar. Yeah, he yeah, won the that. Oscar for that too. Yeah, but in between that, he keeps he makes recording, and then recording comes out, and then the movie comes out, mm-hmm. and the movie just gangbusters. It just blows up, and like you said, he wins the Academy Award for it. And then, but I think by the time he starts, he he's really still depressed the way his career is going, and. I think he, yeah, just so depressed over that woman Ava Gardner. Well, she dumps him. Yeah, right around around the period, and then. She he sees her out on the town with Peter Lawford, mm. and the thing is always like Sinatra apparently threatened to break Peter Lawford's legs, and they don't talk for years. It's like six years they don't talk yeah. to each other, and then I guess he tries to cope with his career and losing her. That he be just they said he's working eighteen hours a day and on this Capitol Records, mm. and it's really out of all his stuff, it's some of his his best work sure. and his most prolific work. Yeah. After he won the Oscar, one thing that he did with Nelson Riddle was make an album called Songs for Swinging Lovers. This was made in 1956. Um, you have some great songs on here. Um, you Make Me Feel So Young, Pennies from Heaven, I've Got You Under My Skin, How About You, you know, I Like New York in June, yeah, How About You, Making Whoopi, Anything Goes. Um, this was a concept album. You know, in 1956, to come up with a concept album to me is like, holy shit, you know? But after you just write off all those songs, that sounds like a greatest hits album rather than like an actual right. album. Right. Even if you you're know? not, even this, if you don't listen to him, like, you know those, you know those songs. They're just part of like pop culture now. But this is, those songs, majority of those songs that he read off is Sinatra's, what Sinatra's known for. Yeah. So this is where Sinatra becomes. The thing with Nelson Riddle is he got on the to make this concept album. The concept was concept of a man who's just found joy in love. And the songs of the album follow a story of the man's relationship as he eventually leaves the girl and finds another woman. So it, it sounds like love to me. You know, you find one woman and you're like, all right, I'm in love. And then, oh, who's that? Who's that? It's him. Who, it's, who, it's his life, that's right? Frank's that's Frank's life. That's his first marriage and Ava Gardner. That's his whole first life. Dude, what about the song title? Like, let's make Whoopi. Is that the first, like, kind of like pornographic song? Right. That's the, like, that's the WAP of Dr. it. Dr. <laughs> John covered that for a yeah, long I, no, time. I, I remember that. Yeah. Why don't we play something from that album? What yeah, do you sure. Hear? What do you want to hear? Let's hear um, You Make Me Feel So Young. And every time I see you grin, I'm such a happy individual. The moment that you speak, I want to go play hide and seek. I want to go and bounce the moon just like a toy balloon. You and I are just like a couple of tots. 
Yes, Songs for Swinging Lovers. If you guys want to hear a great album, check that out. Great album. Sinatra did 300 songs with Nelson Riddle. Okay. Now, Sinatra's, you know, you're big, so everybody's going to take a little shot at you all sure. the time. So now everybody's calling, you know, because he didn't join the army or couldn't join the army. Now he's a commie. Now, sure. Now everybody's calling him a commie. The whole witch hunt, basically. You know, everybody was calling him a commie. He'd be making a witch hunt out of Hollywood. He gets really pissed off about this. Well, that's kind of really e- – that's easy for me to believe because, you know, he was always – like standing up for things that were wrong in this country. You're right. He, you know, he, he got he got behind segregation. You yeah. know, he got a lot. He got a a lot of black talent into theaters, like Sammy Davis. He didn't see color, so you know, America the way it was and whatever. I think a lot of people had a hard time grasping onto what his, his ideals were. And um, I got to be honest with you, I I knew he did he did a lot for civil rights. I didn't know the extent that he did for so long yeah. until this started. He, yeah. did, he right. was doing yeah, concerts for, for Dr. King. Yeah, yeah. he raised a lot of money for Martin Luther, Luther King's King cause. Just um, being a great humanitarian. And it's such a yeah. he's such a complicated figure because it's so yeah. easy to be like, yeah. well, you know, he's a womanizer and a drunk, and yeah, you know, like mm. you can you can you know he's a Vegas person, but he it's, and he's a commie too, it, right? Yeah. He never backed down from speaking out against what he believed was humanly immoral. You know, however, history creates who remember however people want to remember them. And that's a real shame. He wrote a piece for Ebony magazine in 1958. You know, you can go find, go find it out there on the internet. I found it. And I really feel that for, you know, Frank Sinatra writing an article for Ebony magazine in 1958, that's some pretty heavy shit. Yeah. You know, nobody saw that coming. So I feel that, you know, it was easy to call him a communist. It was easy to be, but do you think he really fucking cared? Yeah, he did. You think so? Yeah. He like punched some dude out in a restaurant because he was calling him red. You know, it's 1958. You know, the, besides the racial shit going on, rock and roll was coming in. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra hates rock and roll. Like right off the bat, he says it's stupid. But like, you know, before we hit that, like, you know, I always, and I think I said in another episode, you know, like uh, Frank Sinatra, he's part of the uh, the agenda. He's part of this. He's part of that. You know, and everything that he was saying is what rock and roll was saying. And then he... He hates rock and roll. He hates rock and that's roll. A, that's yeah. He I, hates it. Yeah. Um, his son said one time he brought home Beatles album and he fucking threw it out the door. Because do you think it's because that he saw the change coming? Yeah, that's why he yeah. hated rock and roll. He did that special with Elvis, and, and that Elvis was great. Came home and that was yeah. awesome. that was that was fantastic. That was great. Yeah, we were talking about that when he was doing. Um, witchcraft yeah elvis sings witchcraft and then yeah. sinatra's uh he's like shaking his shoulders and he's like oh this is how you do it right but i'm not gonna move yeah, my I'm, hips or something yeah, uh, or like we we work the same with different areas yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was a witchcraft and uh love me tender yeah Sinatra sings loves me tender if you guys want to watch it's really cute and it's really it's on youtube it's really it cool great. and it's really you can see that they legitimately like each other and it's yeah, it's great. It is a great piece. I think Elvis blows him away on it. Elvis is such a better looking dude than he is. Yeah, but you're it, also talking Elvis about a like, kid against somebody like yeah. you know. Elvis like glows. But it's Elvis Sinatra's like yeah, just scar faced. Yeah, but know? like like as you said, I thought Sinatra did a did a really good. No, uh, it was yeah. great. And I'm a I love Elvis. I love that. Yeah. I I have that quote on sinatra talking about rock and roll so in in 58 he gets invited to testify before congress about juvenile delinquency I he don't created know. it they thought and, 20 years before they got he he was caused for that and know? he he blames so in a and he's testifying before the house of representatives and he blames juvenile delinquency on rock and roll and he says this 
rock and roll is the most brutal, ugly, desperate, vicious form of expression it has been in my misfortune to hear. Rock and roll smells phony and false. It is sung, played, and written for the most part by cretinous goons and by means of its almost imbecilic reiteration and sly, lewd, and in plain fact, dirty lyrics, it manages to be the martial music of every sideburn delinquent on the face of the earth. Hallelujah, Frank. You made me like rock and roll a little bit I more. I never read that. I practiced reading that like I never, I never heard that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, cretinous goons. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, that sideburn delinquent. That is good. That's great. So Frank, you know, this is when Frank starts hanging in Vegas. All right. So he's, um, you know, and his career's kind of going down and coming back up. And he goes back to Atlantic City and he's playing some some shows at that the 500 Club with the mobster Skinny D'Amato. Skinny D'Amato is boys with a guy named Mo Dalitz, who was the mob boss from Ohio. Uh, Mo Dalis is one of the guys that starts going out into to Vegas because the casinos are opening up. Mm. And he offers uh, Sinatra a contract to come. Hey, man, come on out and play my new my new uh, casino. The tickets were like 50 cents to go see him. They were like dirt cheap. But I guess the thought was, well, you go out to see Sinatra and maybe when you're there, you'll spend a little bit of money. Yeah, really interesting kind of gets out there because because the mob invited him because they wanted a draw to go to their casinos. Sure, you need yeah, you know, they got all those money invested. So like when I get one of your buddies to come in who's a, one of the biggest stars in the world to come up and play your little sandbox. Yeah, this you is know? this is when right around the time Ocean's Eleven's being made um in Vegas, which is a great movie. I just watched it. That's where the Rat Pack starts. Yeah, it's right around that era when he's out there and he starts playing. Well, the and the the New York mob gives him a state a nine percent ownership in the Sands Casino, which is so as, wow. as this is taken off. Yeah, he's got an ownership in the casino yeah. where they're playing. I didn't know that until you just said yeah. until you guys said that. He's got to put asses in the seats, so he's like, "All right, what do I got to do?" Now it's on me. Yeah, now it's on me, and I got to bring the people in. I you know what I also thought was a little crummy after Bogart dies. Sinatra, he gets engaged really, really briefly yeah. engaged to Lauren Bacall. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think it's that much longer after Humphrey Bogart died. I don't think it was within the year. Yeah, and Bogart yeah. and Lauren Bacall were like the Beyonce and Jay Z of that year, like yeah. that, you know, whatever. Think of any celebrity couple, like they were really famous together. And then I guess the media finds out again, and the media comes after him, and they both like they're like, whoa, like yeah, they, they, he doesn't want to deal with that again. So yeah. again, he's he's not when it comes to like relationships and stuff, he's not a good dude. No, he's no. definitely not. But they got nothing but double D's around them, drinks and dames. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, that's great. Double D's drunk. Yeah, I mean they're. They're making the rap. They're making the uh, Ocean's Eleven movie during the day, and they're doing these gigs at night. Sinatra would go out on stage, and Dean Martin would come out, and next thing you know, Sammy Davis Jr. come out, Joey Bishop come out, tell a couple jokes, and Peter Lawford would just be the bartender, yeah, you know, during during these these acts. At one point, the then um, not yet Kennedy, not yet president came and he became senator senator yeah senator Senator kennedy came and saw the rat pack one night and fell in love with frank sinatra yeah they met and um when kennedy came saw sinatra sinatra knew him for you know a couple yeah a couple years prior to that because of peter lawford because he's been he was married to oh jack's sister and um they they made sure so uh kenny shows up at one of sinatra's gigs in Vegas, and he introduces the crowd, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, the next president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. Yeah. You know? um, when they would hang out with, with uh, John F. Kennedy, they would call it the Jack Pack. 
you know. And um, you know, Jack liked to be there. Jack you know? liked playing the movie star. Yeah. I mean, well, he kind of was like he, you know, had the good looks and this and that. Like you know, rumors of him going to be the next president. So why not? You know, and he was, dude. He was a big womanizer too. The history showed us that. You know, where Kennedy and Sinatra kind of cross paths is we we said before that. Frank Sinatra and Peter Lawford don't talk for a long time because mm-hmm. Peter Lawford starts dating Ava Gardner. Peter Lawford then gets married to John F. Kennedy's sister, Pat, and they kind of use Peter Lawford. They're like, "Hey, you're friends with that Sinatra guy, right? Can can you call in a favor? Can you guys like can you make nice with him and put a good word in for us so he can help JFK get yeah. get elected?" Yeah, and that was his father's Joe's doing and all that. Joe might be the shitbag of the week. Joe yeah. is the shitbag of the week. If yeah. there's a hell, he's there. Yeah, he's a bad he's a bad dude. He is a bad dude. So that's where like Peter Lawford and they become friends again. That's kind of where Peter Lawford yeah. gets into the rat pack. Mm-hmm. So they're really kind of they're kind of using him as but, a way to get to Sinatra. But at the same time, I think Sinatra's using him also to get to the Kennedys because he Sinatra loved pa- the attention. Powers love power, man. Yeah. You know, power loves power and they go hand in hand together. Okay, so we know that Kennedy wins the presidential election, help from Sinatra and the Rat Pack. But the thing is, though, he got he got elected. But when they had his, uh, when Kennedy wins, there's some weird stuff going on. Like, so he needs it's a state of West Virginia. He needs to win to get the the nomination. Mm-hmm. And the story always was that that Sinatra kind of asks. Sam Giancana, one of his mob buddies, like, hey, can you deliver? Can you do something to help in the state of West Virginia? An Irish Roman Catholic getting, uh, yeah, getting and, the, and then he he comes through. And the story was always that like Sinatra would be like, hey man, if you help us out here, if JFK gets the White House, we'll Congress will back off, stop looking into what's going on in Vegas. Sinatra's got his own stake in it because he owns part of the Sands. Sure. And um, the same thing happen- happens with Chicago, that that they said that Sinatra called in some favors with Sam Giancana, who was a mob boss in Chicago, to deliver that to the quid pro quo would be that they would back off. And, you know, we, yeah. I guess we, we'll finish that story later when JFK's yeah. president. I mean, uh, now Kennedy and Sinatra are, are boys Sinatra invites Kennedy to come stay at his house in Palm Springs. And Bobby's like, no fucking way are you staying at this guy's house. You want to hang out with him, fine, but you're not going to stay at his house. He's a mobster. And Frank's like, no, he's not. He's just, Frank he says, well, look at all this, all this stuff that he's done with the mobsters. You cannot stay with him. Frank takes this very personally because he goes stays with Bing Crosby. And because Bing he has Crosby's a, he has a Republican. His, yeah, he has a very squeaky clean reputation. And we all talked about Bing Crosby before about how he's a yeah. shitbag too. But you know, but the whole thing was like Bing Crosby was Republican. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. And I think I think the FBI finds out that that JFK was having an affair with an actress named Judy Campbell, like right before this happened. Yeah. And Sinatra had introduced JFK to this actress, but this actress was also a mistress of Sam G and Connor. Yeah, I read that too. Which is when it gets to Robert Kennedy, and he's like, "Dude, you can't go there." And so JFK goes, "Yeah, cancels his cancels this trip to uh, go stay with him." And then that's like what they they kick he kicks Peter Lawford out of yeah. the Rat Pack over yeah. this, right? It's, it's, that's that's yeah. where. It, we'll, yeah, but can you imagine Bobby during this whole thing? Who are you going to hang out with? Who are you going to do this? It's Who are you like going to do telling that? you. Yeah, you're like, and you're trying to make a family thing happen. We're trying to make our stake here in the United States. And then you have your brother doing this, your dad doing this, and Bobby's just sitting back like, 
you guys are all crazy. Right. Like, you want to play gangster? You want to play gangster? You want to do this? You, you want to play president? You want to play gangster? You want to play boots hustler? And he was the part. one who was going. I mean, RFK was the one going after the mob. Yeah. You know? Like, Sam well, and Khan is like, that was a dude, thing. I thought you were going to get this guy off yeah. my back. And yeah. now he's, he's yeah, coming like, hard. Sinatra was like, you know, maybe he'll take a light on you kind of thing. Yeah. Next and you time can, you're in trouble. Yeah. And there's like, and now Robert just. Goes after them there's, hardcore. Yeah, there's there's art. There's like you can see videos of Robert Kennedy interviewing, uh, getting him to testify. Sam Giancana. Yeah, and he starts like Sam Giancana starts laughing, and and Robert Kennedy's like, "Oh, I thought only little girls chuckle like that." Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. They I saw get, that. They get, it gets nasty. Yeah, but dude, Giancana also he they have him on a wire saying like, "I think I'm going to whack out Sinatra because of all this." He almost got killed from this, and he's like, "I'm going to kill a couple of those other guys too in the Rat Pack." Yeah, and there's always there's always rumors that the mob had something to do with Kennedy dying, and it's like, you know, you could there's a hard there's, there's things to say like, well, Sam Giancana got so pissed that yeah. that the mob was they didn't or that the the government didn't follow through with him, you know, backing off of the mob that he had Kennedy assassinated. Well, if anything, I think that was step one toward the whole Kennedy getting assassinated. But when Kennedy went to go stay with Bing Crosby. Sinatra built on a wing on the side of his house for, you know, had a nice plaque maze. Oh, like, yeah. uh, the president of the United States stayed here and then he stayed there. You know what Sinatra did? He almost tore the whole place apart with his bare hands. That's how pissed he was. Poor Peter Lawford has to put up with all those Kennedys. Um, all right. Where are we at here? So we're like, we're like, what? Kennedy just got elected. So we're like 1960. Yeah. So it's about 1960. JFK is pretty pissed off that he didn't um, get to stay with Sinatra, whatever. So Frank goes and plays black prison in DC without anybody knowing. So he goes out there and he plays and he sings and like that. Um, and JFK found out that he was there. Oh, stop by. He's like, fuck you. I ain't stopping by. I see you. Oh, really? Oh yeah. He's like, whatever. And he was already, he was already present at the time. He was already present. Not too long after that. That's yeah. when JFK was killed. But you know, like going back with the Rat Pack, doing all this stuff for Kennedy, getting elected, like, you know, to put on shows, you know, all of them out there going to bat for John and this and that. Then he gets the inauguration. Sammy Davis Jr. was not invited to play the inauguration party because of he was, uh, beginning to get he's going to get married in a few weeks to some uh some swedish actress i forgot her name at the time but like at that he time would, but at that time you know it was still legal a lot of was, parts of this country for interracial marriages so he wasn't invited so you know who else didn't fucking show up because his friend wasn't dino dean, dean martin said dude. no way i'm not showing up either sammy did all that work for the, the kennedys yeah you know sammy was first invited but I, I think it was Jackie when NASA said, no fucking way is he coming I, to my fucking I didn't thing. read that. Well, it was I, like the, the convention. So the convention was in California. We, he played all the conventions and all that. And they the convention introduces the Committee for the Arts. And it's the rat, it's all the Rat Pack, except Dean Martin wasn't there. He had something else to do. Sammy Davis Jr. comes out to, for the national anthem. And the delegates from Mississippi start heckling, like, go home, N-word. Like, yeah, it, yeah, gets, yeah, it gets yeah. really nasty. And then Joe Kennedy was like, you cannot have this dude here. Like, he is a liability to your campaign if yeah. you've got this, yeah, this, this black guy running around. It, sounds, it just sounds like all this trouble that Sinatra went for John, and he just kind of brushed him aside. And I think Frank was just in love with the idea of having the president of the United States in his pocket. Yeah. Maybe he was a little delusional thinking that was going to happen. No, I, you I, know? I think he Frank loved power. No, who doesn't? You know, you know who doesn't? 
Yeah, but, I think Frank loved power, and who has more power than the president of the United States? He has him on speed dial. But can you imagine what Frank was telling Sam Giacana? Ah, oh, we got some. Don't worry about it. Our problems are over. You yeah, know? And, and then you know, the day after JFK wins the nomination for presidency, Dean Martin, Skinny D'Amato, Sinatra, and his manager all apply for a gaming license mm-hmm. in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And they have a silent partner, which is Sam Giancana. But like in that story, you know, you know how I said that, you know, Sam's going to have all the guys from the Rat Pack whacked. Instead of whacking them, you know, he did. It's like the main three guys, Sammy. Well, maybe not Sammy, Dean and definitely Frank. Well, guess what? When you come to Chicago, you're playing my place. And guess what I'm paying you? Nothing. Yeah. Why don't we play my kind of town? People who. Smile at you, and each time I roam, Chicago is calling me home, Chicago is. Okay, now we'll pick up. JFK's gone. He was killed in Texas. One last point on JFK was there's a Washington, D.C. police detective who says that the FBI had tapes of Sinatra talking to Sam G and Kana where Sinatra said that he was sleeping with Peter Lawford's wife who in order to get influence with JFK so mm-hmm. that he was he was sleeping with JFK's sister thinking that she would say nice things about Sinatra so you know Sinatra makes a couple more thousand movies makes a bunch of different albums he gets married a couple more times he got married to Mia Farrow she was in Rosemary's Rosemary yeah, she baby. was like 20 years younger than him. Right? Yeah, she was adorable. She was a baby. She was like a baby. He was like 40, 40-something years old, and she's, she, gives she's me like hope. 20. Gives me hope, man. What are you talking about? But that didn't last very long, did it? It only no, lasted for like he, a year. He couldn't deal with her, like, um, childness. Well, yeah. She I mean, was a flower power. Yeah, she's a big you know hippie. I mean? she, yeah, was a hippie. Pot. yeah she was a hippie. Yeah, she's smoking pot. Imagine, like, Frank Sinatra doesn't like rock and roll, but here's your wife. Here's your wife. It's yeah. 20 years younger than you. Like Hanging and, out with the Beatles and so, talking about revolution. You know, Sinatra's got some pool now. You know, he's going to, now he's going against the press. He, he, all those years of the press going after him, now he's going after the press. He's seeing people in restaurants. He's knocking them out. You know, he's becoming this thug. You know, like, who's going to mess with me? I'm Frank Sinatra. He, he starts um, recording more albums, which is fast forward, 1984. He, like, he retires in, like, 71. Yeah. He says, like, I'm done. And then he, I don't know how long that lasts, but he, yeah, well, he comes we back. Say that. So, he, you know, he says he's going to retire. So after a few years of retirement, he comes out um, of retirement and he makes the album with Quincy Jones. I don't know the album, but I know Quincy and Quincy, this was at the hype of Quincy's career. Um, there's a famous meeting between Michael Jackson and Frank Sinatra during the recording sessions, one legend with the other. Frank does some work for uh, for Nixon. He does some work for Ronald Reagan. He, uh, you know, just keeps his name out there, you know. Um, like throughout his career, you know, he performed over 1,400 uh, recordings in six decades, you know. And you're talking about like him recording with Quincy Jones and all that, you know. He performed on over 1,400 recordings in six decades career and appeared in 60 films at that time, you know. He won, He has 31 gold albums, nine platinum albums, three double platinum albums, and one triple album 
by Recording Industry Association of America. Like this guy had a huge career. Just a few years of his career could be a milestone for somebody's career. Yeah. I mean, um, there's there's like box sets of the Capitol years. Yeah. And you know wonderful. almost every one of those songs. It's, yeah. it's like, unbelievable. But like another thing, like he raised over a billion dollars for charities, including like like especially in the 80s, like when um, charities with people want to touch like AIDS awareness and things like that. He was one of the first guys to do to do a charity for AIDS, you know, for all kinds of he, he Frank never met a cause he didn't like, you know, he just had a lot of I just think he because he, he came from nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He knows what it's like not to have anything. Yeah. He, I, he also has a point. I think it's in the 60s that he he loses that those casinos that he owns yeah. and he loses a ton of money. It's actually yeah. in 63, so it's a year yeah. that that Kennedy gets killed that he um the FBI finds out that that Sam Giancana is staying in this casino that mm-hmm. Sinatra owns and they um they pull his gaming license and then he has to sell his stake in the sands and um Sinatra takes a bath financially, Sam Giancana takes a bath financially, mm-hmm. Skinny D'Amato takes a bath financially. Again, does that have something to do with like the mob? Does the mob have something to do with JFK? I don't know, but it's it's, but so, it's so crazy though if you think about it. It's another know? thing to just uh, you know Sinatra just loses a ton of money. Yeah, you know maybe that's why like Sinatra went low key for all those years. You know, like, yeah, trying to stay out of the public eye. Yeah, they said too like he would always go back to Las Vegas or he'd always go back to Atlantic City and he would play a couple shows at that. 500 club yeah. it burned down in like the early 70s but he had such a loyalty that That's, that mob guys yeah. getting D'Amato that he yeah. would always go and he said he would play for free yeah They're like just just put us up in a casino in atlantic city with me and my entourage and you know, i'm sure he made money and yeah. all the jack daniels he drank but yeah. it was like that was the deal that he was always he was so loyal to them you could definitely say he was definitely a loyal man he definitely was yeah. um, maybe he was too loyal you know? yeah could there's, be there's no such thing as not well, uh, he's loyal to the wrong people, maybe. Yeah, yeah, me loyal to the wrong people. Yeah, you know he uh, he moves up. The first time he gets um, notoriety for the song "New York, New York," he played at Radio City Music Hall after the Yankees win the World Series in 1978. And he was playing at Radio City Music Hall in the in the in the Yankees win the World Series. He breaks in New York, New York. Is that when the Yankees adopted? Uh, the song New York, New York. Because I'm did sure. Liza Minnelli have that song before? He, I think Liza Minnelli did had she? a hit with that uh, song before he did. And it never really did anything. But when Sinatra did it, it became a huge hit. Yeah. You know, it became one of his signature songs. But another signature song didn't happen until towards the end of his career. Um, it was a song that was written for him by Paul Anka. And it's my way. Um, I have some great, I have a great memory of walking in Italy walking around the Pantheon. It's all it's all um, stone, brick, ground. And I turn the corner and I hear somebody playing the trumpet and somebody's playing my way. And I, I hear it bouncing off the, the village, like, you know, like the, the walls. And it's so beautiful. It's like I became such a huge fan of that song. It was like echoing really? off the architecture. Yeah. Man, that's the first time in yeah. my life I've ever heard Ryan say anything positive about the song My Way. Oh. Dude, I used to, I would used to say it's the biggest loser song ever. It's the but, biggest loser song ever written. But, dude, you had to be walking in Rome I with guess me. so. I'm gl- hey, man, I'm it was very beautiful. happy you had that experience because I think I, I have it on my phone. Yeah, actually. you never even told me that story before. And good for you. you I'm glad that you have no, some, I, a different way of looking at that song now like, rather than being in the bar, like working the bar at like 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday oh night and some losers in there. 
you know, playing. a lot of I people cared it, but I did it my way. That, yeah. that is a that's a bar song, right? Yeah. You guys probably uh, heard that yeah. song a uh, zillion too many times. times. But you know what? A lot of like, these people in, in in like South Philadelphia, they're like, "Oh, I'm a Frank Sinatra fan." You know, three fucking songs. Yeah. Play some more other songs. But one song that I will love that bar for the rest of my life for is "Sending the Clowns." That is a fantastic song. It's a sad song. It's it a is great, a sad it's a song. It's a great, great song. Like, Senator, we're here. The clans are already here. You know, you want to hear a great song? Just play a little bit for me, Bruce. It's called One for My Baby. Yeah. Um, how about we play the version from Live at the Sands? Do okay. you know that one? Yeah. The intro to it is no, just great. No, I don't. This is the part in the program where we sing a drunk song. Drunk songs are usually done in small bars and bistros in the wee hours of the morning. Usually talked or sung by a fellow who's got problems. Like uh, his broad flute of coop. <laughs> With another guy and all the bread. <laughs> so if you will uh, you will assume the position of a bartender. It's the way these guys behave. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. Set him up, Joe. I got a little story. I think you should know We're drinking, my friend To the end Of a brief episode Make it one for my baby And another one for the road You know, to me, that's the classic Frank Sinatra. Yeah, sitting in a bar. Yeah, in a you know, used to be able to smoke in bars. Um, in a smoky bar. That's a song I I could see it. I've I never I've, I've never heard that version before, and I, it just shows how much Frank is a natural entertainer. It's nothing for him to give up and give a classic speech like that, like a a classic intro. I've never heard that before. What was that, that one? Was that the one live that, live at the Sands? Sands. That album is so good because he there's a couple songs in there where he starts I'll have to play for you when we take a break there's like he's teasing somebody in the audience and he just starts laughing and like in between the songs it's just great anyway but yeah I mean in that album man he's he's just interacting with the crowd and even the um the little parody we played at the beginning of the show is is from the beginning of the Sands album and then you know it plays and he walks out and he's like how did all you people get into my room <laughs> and it's just like you know and it's like the level that he would play off the crowd and it really I mean you, you hear it a lot too in the um the rat pack stuff it's just great yeah i mean him and his cronies no, nothing could beat those guys on stage him and him dean um sammy, yeah. sammy they're they're just they're born to be together like like we always say this the the skies open up and god points down at yeah. certain people and they bring them together you know but um yeah let's you know sinatra he had a, a great career we don't have to go into how he died and all that depressing stuff when he died, they buried him with a bottle of Jack Daniels because he yeah. uh, he's actually considered famous for uh, 
putting Jack Daniels on the map. He, he would always drink it. You know, he'd always have the same thing, four fingers of Jack Daniels, a couple ice cubes, and a splash, splash of water. My dad told us that for years, you know, like, especially down here in South Philadelphia, everybody Jack Dan- everybody drank Jack Daniels because Frank drank, drank Jack Daniels. You know, it's funny is that they buried him. It's like they also buried him with 10 dimes. In case he had to call somebody. Yeah. When his son got uh, kidnapped. Yeah. He, yeah. he said he didn't have money for a payphone or something. Cool. Well, why don't we take a little break here, guys? Yeah. All right. So let's let's uh, we'll take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the other guys of the Rat Pack. So cool. All right. We'll be back. All right. All right. All right. Ring a ding ding. This episode of the Prisoners of Rock and Roll is brought to you by McCusker's Tavern, located at 17th and Shunk Streets in South Philadelphia. McCusker's Tavern has been in business for more than 50 years, making it the oldest bar west of Broad Street and a city known for its neighborhood watering holes. Minutes from the sports stadium, McCusker's is a great place to stop in for a few beers before or after a game or a concert. There's a reason why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy have ranked it as one of the best dive bars in the city. Music is such an important part of McCusker's Tavern that we're actually recording this episode from there right now. They're currently closed due to the pandemic, but miss everyone and hope to see them soon. In the meantime, check them out on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. All right, so we're back from the commercial break. Thanks for sticking with us, man. We we talked about Sinatra for over an hour. We really even scratched the surface. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that we could have gotten into. You know, he we, there's a lot of his music we didn't get into. Uh, some of his later stuff, some of his film stuff. Um, you know, he his we didn't talk about his son being kidnapped. He no. he tried to commit suicide a couple times. Frank Sinatra did. There's a there's a whole lot of stuff, man. But you know, definitely go check out some of this other music because we got four other guys in the Rat Pack that we need to talk about. Yeah. So, who's next? Next one we're gonna talk about is Dean Martin. He, he is the cool cool. Playboy magazine called him the coolest man who has ever lived. And this is the magazine that also called McCusker's Tavern one of the best dive bars in their country yeah. in the country. So they know what they are talking they about. They are above the they are above the grade, yes. Yes. And speaking of McCusker's Tavern, you guys have done an excellent job refreshing everything. I'm glad I have a new another cocktail in front yes. of me here. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. We had some great music, some uh, some swing music playing in the background uh, during our commercial break. Let's talk about Dino. Dino was born June seventh, nineteen seventeen. He was born in Steubenville, Ohio. He said Steubenville had booze, women, and music, everything a growing boy needs. Steubenville is a steel mill town. A lot of steel mill workers, um, you know, probably just a Bruce Springsteen song town kind of thing. Dean quit school at the 10th grade. He didn't like it. He, he just like a lot of kids his age and at that time didn't finish school. But he went. He dropped out of school to be a boxer, didn't he? Basically, quit school to make a living for his family. But uh, he he was a boxer. He did do some boxing, and he said he wasn't very good. His name was a Kid Crochet. His name was, and his record was twenty six and eleven. All right, you know, so he he wasn't bad. Yeah, you know. I I don't think he'd make a good boxer. I think his relaxed persona would be just a little bit too easy to go. It's like, come on, pal, you really want to fight? That guy punched <laughs> his face in. Yeah, you know. Out in Steubenville, um, there was a big Italian um, community out there. Um, when Italians were being made fun of, Dean didn't hide that he was that he was Italian. He spoke Italian. He even sang in Italian. Um, he didn't care about any stereotyped. Dean's dad didn't want to work in steel mills um, growing up, so Dean's dad became a barber and opened his own shop. So when Dean dropped out of school he said you know you get two things you're gonna go with a steel mill 
or you're going to work at the barber with me. And he didn't want to do any of it. And that's when he became the boxer Kid Crochet, 16 years old. It's like both of his parents were immigrated from uh, Abruzzo, Italy. So Dean didn't know how to speak English until he was about five years old. So he got picked on a lot as a child Hmm. because he spoke with that, you know, broken off the boat dialogue in his language. So, you know, he at a very young age, you know, he had to come over uh, being discriminated against because he was also different, just like Frank. Yeah. You know, I mean, all those guys, all those superstars are different when they're kids. I mean, you know, the oddballs. Dean got a job at a cigar store called Rex's. And Rex's was a front for a gambling den. It eventually get Dean to be a blackjack dealer. You know, there was a lot of gangsters coming and going. And Dean made a lot of friends uh, dealing blackjack and everything like that. Dean would go all the after-hour spots with all the gangsters. And, you know, they make Dean get up there and sing. And holy shit, Dean could sing. And, you know, they, they couldn't believe it. Well, it's funny. He started at that club. He started as a stock boy. Then they let him deal cards as blackjack. Then he would work the roulette table. And then he became a singer in the lounge that they had. So that's I guess that yeah. was his first uh, step into yeah, he the, made, on he, the stage. You he know? moved up the ladder. That's yeah. basically what he did is move up the ladder. But with the mob behind him. With the, the mob, mob behind him. Yeah. The mob helping him. Um, in 1938, his friend Ernie Bacay asked him to change his name. They, they, he was the leader of the Ernie Bacay band. And he said, why don't you change your name to Dino Martini? I like that. Um, right off the bat, Dean met another band leader named Sammy Dean. Um, Sammy Dean got him to record his first recording, got to change his name again, then got changed it to the name that we know now as Dean Martin. Dean was rejected by the army, just like Frank. Uh, he was, he was, what do they call it? F. 4F or F4. F4. Yeah. 4F. Um, from like a hernia he had when he was a child. So now he's like locally, you know, famous in Ohio. But he was also getting p- compared to artists at the time like Bing Crosby and Perry Como. So a lot of he didn't really have his own style per se yet. No, he's in his still early a career. Kid. He's still a kid. He's still a kid. In 1943, Dean got his first gig in New York City. It was a gig that Frank Sinatra canceled. And it was at a place called the Real Bomb Bomb Room. 1943, Dean met Frank for the first time. They became Paisans. You know, they lived a nightlife together in New York City as they spent all their money out all goddamn night. You know, here's you got Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin running around New York City. They, they got each other. You know, they kept pretty much come from the same kind of background. And it was really funny. He went to Dean Martin when he went to New York City. You know, he, he uh, you know, played some place and everything like that. But he got really friendly with uh, comedian Lou Costello from Abbott Costello. And eventually, Dean Martin's son married his daughter. And actually, Dean had a nose job done when he was 27 years old, and that's where we'd be paid by Lou Costello. I so this is before the whole. This is before the whole him meeting uh, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis yeah. and all that. Well, so imagine having you know back then having a nose job. It looks like something out of like you know. Yeah, oh my god! Out of like the Batman movie with Jack Nicholson, you're in a basement and somebody's <laughs> just in there with some knives just cutting you up. You know. I never, I didn't see any of that. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. In 1944, that's when Dean first met Jerry Lewis at a coffee shop. They became fast friends. They just hang out with each other here and there. They enjoyed each other's company. In 1946, the two of them joined the stage for the first time at the 500 Club, the Mottos 
in, uh, in Atlantic spot. City in where Atlantic, Sinatra yeah, was playing. Yeah. Jerry Lewis got him, got Dean his big break there. Jerry was playing there, and D'Amato thought he was getting a comedy team. He's like, oh, oh, I got a guy, I got a guy. And so he calls Dean Martin up, and he's like, I, I need you to come and do this gig with me. You know, He's like, I'm not a comedian. He's like, I'll take care of all that. You just go up there, and you sing, you be you. And, you know, Jerry Lewis got him up there, got him his big break. And their their first gig was a bomb. They bombed their first gig. I think the motto hated. He hated. He was, he was, he he was going to fire Lewis, them on the spot. Yeah. And, yeah. But the next show they did, I mean, they you had to him. think, you know, um, Jerry Lewis was 19. Dean Martin was 29. You know, that's a big age group. Sure. And I think that they toured their whole career, because you read a lot about their career, that had a lot to do with them breaking up, you know, because um, Jerry yeah. Lewis, his ego got really yeah. real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and um, actually, you know, not to move forward a little bit, but when these guys, they got so popular. Like really fast. Really right? fast. Like, like they got, they hit that Beatlemania, like really fast. They were huge. They would play like, instead of trying to like play everybody in a club, they would set up on a fire escape and just do the routine on the street because of their popularity is so yeah. huge. Um, I, I don't get Jerry Lewis, man. Really? I, I don't get his. I don't. You get must that. not be French. I, I don't like that. That goofy. I don't know, man. Nah, I, don't, I don't. I don't like. I don't like like Adam Sandler. I like that, okay. that, that over the top, like goofy, yeah, yeah. physical, zany comedy. I just don't get it. I think he was my first taste in that. That that zany. Con- yeah. I, I I always appreciated him. You know, um, they became Martin Lewis. They became this huge nightclub act, which Dean Martin was the star. He was the main attraction of the nightclub life. Um, he was a great singer, obviously. But when they start making movies, Jerry Lewis became the star because all the kids start going out to see Jerry Lewis like they would go see Jim Carrey. I watched a documentary on them, and the documentary said that um, Jerry Lewis was the organ grinder and Dean Martin was the monkey. That's, that's Really? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty smart. But going, you know, they start making movies or anything. So I read this piece of information that I thought was really, really, actually kind of brilliant. Okay, so outgrowing their cl- club circuit, they moved on the radio and television appearances and were finally given a movie contract. The pair were let to Paramount. They were they were allowed to make one film a year outside the studio of Paramount. So what they did, the first thing they did, they released a film called At War with the Army. Now, this was released under their own company called York Productions. So instead of paying themselves, they received 90% of the royalties. Of the royalties. 90%. 90%. Wow. So these guys were smart. So this really upset Paramount like tremendously. So even up into the 80s, I'm sorry, in, into the 70s, this was still like kind of in core in this net. So wow. when it came out at the time for to redistribute the movie, it was denied because they didn't. The studio 70, didn't 70, want to. The pay. studio didn't want to pay them again. Wow! Well. So it eventually became public domain. The film, but imagine that. So here yeah. you go. You just signed this very this lucrative deal with Paramount Pictures. All you want to do is get on the movie screen, even though they're on TV and this and that. They're huge stars. So what do they do. They take advantage of the situation of making their first film under their own. Yeah. Under their own. Um, their own, their own company. Their own company under the Paramount umbrella, so they would receive because they're hot. They're like nothing bigger than the world. That, yeah. I, no, they were I, huge. I actually really admired that. Yeah, you know, from 1949 to 1956, they made 16 films. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's very prolific. That's a lot. After they made 16 films, they got their own TV show, The Colgate Comedy Hour. 
Um, it was kind of successful. It only had a few different um, episodes, and it, it didn't do very well. Now it's it's time. Like Dean's like, I gotta get away from this clown. I think Jerry's also like, I want to go make movies. Well, he was an ego. Jerry Lewis is the ego mania. This is a great. This is a great quote from Dean. He's like, two of the greatest turning points in my career were first meeting Jerry Lewis, second leaving was Jerry Lewis becoming a joke instead of a singer. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny not to skip ahead. Um, they had the uh, the Jerry Lewis telethon, so I think Sinatra was on. And without Jerry Lewis knowing this, Dean Martin came walking on the stage. And if you watch this performance, D- Jerry Lewis is not a happy guy. Really? Not at all. I think he looks surprised. Damn right he was surprised. <laughs> I was listening to the um, the Rat Pack Live at the Sands album. It's uh, You can find it on Spotify. And at some point, they're, you know, Dean Martin's playing. And uh, I think it's Sinatra says something like, hey, man, you better be nice or I'm going to go call Jerry Lewis and get him to come out here and take a fight. <laughs> yeah. And Dean Martin's yeah. just like, go that's not funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's play his Dino song. All right, cool. Can you play Ain't That a Kick in the Head? Said, ain't that a kick in the head? The room was completely black. I hugged her and she hugged back. Like the sailor said, quote, ain't that a hole in a boat? My head keeps spinning. I go to sleep and keep grinning. If this is just to be beginning. But you know, I can understand why he wanted to get away from Jerry Lewis, man. Yeah, he was tired of being being. I see at. Jerry Lewis on TV. I want to get away from Jerry Lewis. But you know, it's really funny. Uh, you know, Dean Dean was not a big reader. He said he'd never really read. He only read one book in his life, and it was Black Beauty. So, but he loved comic books. Dean Martin loved comic books, but he didn't want anybody seeing him going out and buying comic books because he thought he would lose his cool persona that he had. So you get Jerry Lewis to yeah, he'd, have, get, he'd have people yeah. go out and get him for him so it didn't yeah. ruin his tough guy attitude. I just thought that was that was great that Dean Martin loved comic books. Um, Dean tried to make his first movie without Jerry and it bombed. Um, it was very discouraging to to Dean. Then he started getting his music back on track. Playing, he started playing at the Sands in, in the Vegas he was a huge hit. In 1958, he made uh, a huge movie with Marlon Brando and Montgomery Cliff called The Young Lions. It This made Dino a motion picture star. It made him such a huge star, they gave him a role in a movie called Rio Bravo with John Wayne. He became like a serious actor after that. This is when the Rat Pack comes in. Well, and his musically, too, he was on Capitol Records at the same time as Sinatra. Like so, when he starts getting after Martin and Lewis break up, and he's he's kind of doing his thing, I thought it was interesting too. They said that his version of "That's a Mori sold a million copies back back then. It's just yeah, you know, that's that's that's. So when he was in that movie, uh, the Rio Bravo movie, he started with John Wayne and Ricky Nelson. So Martin and Nelson sang a duet on a film called "My Rifle, My Pony, and Me." Now that song was named one of the greatest 100 Western songs written of all time by the Western Academy. So here's Dean. Singing that being, uh, you know, with Jerry Lewis and this and that, and then becoming like a drunky dean or whatever you want to say. But now, Curious singing a country western yeah. song, and it was recognized as being one of the greatest one one of the greatest country songs ever written. Yeah, for I don't, movie. I don't know that song, and I, I'm no, str- I I'm struggling, even trying to, I'm struggling to try to picture Dean Martin no, it's doing great. a, a it's western fantastic. song. And he recorded a couple other times without Ricky Nelson. He made a lot of great cowboy movies. Yeah. Dean Martin. He said he was a great 
he was a great horse rider. This is right at the Rio Rio Bravo. We got Casa in Ocean's Eleven. That's where we start hanging out the Rat Pack. January twentieth, nineteen sixty, the first show at the Sands. It was a huge hit. We were talking about before how people were sleeping in their cars to catch the the Rat Pack at the Sands Casino. Dino was was definitely the coolest one out of the Rat Pack. I agree. I agree. One hundred percent. You know, he, he never kissed Sinatra's ass. He just kind of was like, yeah, pal, I'm going to follow you, but you ain't the leader. He definitely held his own court. I can honestly say, you know, that I definitely liked Dean Martin more in my life than I did Frank Sinatra. You know, I, I liked his humor. I liked his music. I liked, I liked Sinatra more. And I admittedly haven't, I haven't listened to a whole lot of Dean Martin's music over my life. And I've, I've been listening to it a lot over the last two weeks as we're doing this show. And I, I was really enjoying it. I mean, I thought his... um. Some of the live stuff when they're going back and forth with the crowd, the like his his wit was like faster. He's a great showman. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I was really I was really digging it. And it's a shame, man, because he I, I don't know, man. He's he's one of these guys. I think he's baby. It's cold outside at Christmas time, and yeah. and yeah. the argument over is that offensive or not, and all that garbage. Yeah, and that's yeah, a shame. Like, that's a shame. Because there's a like, lot, but he, and that's a shame. Was he a good actor? Was he this? Yeah, was he, he was that? awesome. And and as saying that, you know, you know, Dean Martin was he known for? Drunky Dean, right? I would say he's a great actor because that is a character that he invented that I didn't. I didn't even know that until yeah. you guys mentioned it in the yeah. in the um. In the, we were sharing our notes. He, he was just as good as Charlie Chaplin, dude. Yeah, yeah said so that he he never like, drank. That, that whole thing about yeah. him like drinking and and getting hammered all the time was just an act. Yeah. And they said that you know like when the Rat Pack would all go out, he would be the dude kind of sneaking out the side door because he wanted to go home. home to his wife and kids yeah. and wanted to play golf in the morning. He did yeah. like he's an avid golfer, you know. In the middle of Beatlemania. Everybody Loves Somebody knocked the Beatles off at number one. Everybody was calling Dean Martin the Beatle Buster. Let's hear that song. Everybody loves somebody somehow. Everybody falls in love somehow. Something in your kiss just told me my sometime is now. Everybody find somebody someplace. Everybody knows that song. It's got like a coolness to it. it. It's got like a like a fifties rock sound, like the drums in it a little bit. It just got a. I don't know. I could. I could picture that being like a doo-woppy kind of song. It's very classy. Yeah, it has such a very classy sound. On top of it, it's iconic. You know, it's really funny with that song. You know, that song knocked. As Ryan said, that song knocked the Beatles right off the chart at yeah. a number one spot. Anyway, so you know what Martin did? See Martin sent a telegram to Elvis Presley and it said, "If you can't handle the Beatles, I'll do it for you." Uh, buddy boy, or something like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Dear I Elvis. love. I just love that. You know, it was to say it says, "Dear Elvis, if you can't handle the Beatles, I'll do it for us." Yeah, it's uh, you got to appreciate the sense of humor. You know, yeah, and the ball breaking. Dean had a great career. He had seven gold albums after that. After uh, everybody loves somebody, Dean was so popular in 1965. They gave him his own TV show, The Dean Martin Show. Yo, NBC hooked him up. Like they gave him stock options, they gave him all this money. He didn't want to do it. He he was like, no. And they were like, no, we really want you to do it. He's like, well, I want a hundred trillion billion 
trillion dollars. Okay, okay, you got it. Oh, I only want to work one day a week. Okay, you got it. Um, his show is on for nine years. Yeah, he never went to rehearsals. They had somebody stand in for him while he's out playing golf. He had um the the Stones were on that show too. There's a you can see the video of him introducing the Stones. On the like, oh, this show. It's pretty wild. Got, but dude, that that's he made thirty four. He signed had a signing bonus for that a couple of years to re, to renew this show. He's paid thirty four million dollars at that time. He was the highest paid entertainer wow. in the world. His golf thing too. Like I I watched. Uh, in an interview with Jerry Lewis, and he was talking about the golf, and he said that um, Jerry Lewis made all the business decisions in Martin and Lewis because he was golfing all the time. And also because Dean Martin had ties to the mob, mm-hmm. he didn't want the mob influencing. And so he was pretty much like – I guess Dean Martin was like, well, if I don't get involved in decisions, you can't – you can't – you know, Sounds you, pretty you smart to me. Nobody can influence me. So you had, you had Jerry Lewis do it all the time. Yeah. That's, that's actually really smart. You know, we also had the celebrity roast that was pretty popular. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, even watching the infomercials are hysterical. Yeah, watching some of that, they're dated. They, I mean, some of them haven't aged very well, but they're still funny. Watching yeah, like they're, Don they're, Rickles they're, getting up. Yeah, well, Don Rickles is just classic. Yeah. You know, Dino has a great successful movie career after his TV series, and he's got the celebrity roast. Um, but Dino had a really bad tragedy happen. In 1987, Dean's son, Dino Paul Jr., was killed in an airplane crash as he was serving Air National Guard. They looked for his plane that crashed for five days. Dino kept hope, like, the whole time, hoping they would find him alive. Obviously, they didn't find him alive. Um, Dino was crushed by it. He couldn't even cope with his son's death. You know what was weird? Frank Sinatra's mom died in a plane crash 10 years Prior, prior yeah. on the same mountain. The same no mountain. way. Yeah. 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 I didn't read that. Yeah. yeah. So it was Dean Martin's son and Frank Sinatra's mom both died in plane crashes 10 years apart on the same mountain. That's, that's really, so ironic. really crazy. So ironic. Yeah. After that, Dean kind of just took the back seat to life. You know, he died on Christmas Day in 1995. He left the world with some great music. Is He's very unappreciative in, in my eyes. Um, he's always standing in the shadow of somebody. Is it Lewis or is it Sinatra? I don't know. I think he's standing up by himself. He he had. I've read a lot about him, and he had a really amazing right place at the right time. No, a lot he had of time. a huge career. You know, he, he worked with huge, like he like, had a huge TV career. Like he had like like some BS movies that were made. Like this one character I played, Matt Helm. I think he made like six films. And if you ever seen the movie uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sharon Tate's movie that she goes sees and watch. It's that that's movie. A Dean that, it's, that's movie. a Dean Martin movie, and uh, he actually worked with Bruce Lee on uh, some. He was his coordinator for his judo oh. judo chops. But you know, with that being said, he's an American icon. He's a, he's he's. I think he's overlooked. You Dude, know, his livelihood, his the liveliness he had, and as he was performing, was is just. It's just so legendary. You watch it now and you say, how cool can somebody be? Yeah. Let me let me play a little bit from the Rat Pack Live at the Sands because he does a song on there um, that it sounds like he's doing off the cuff or it's a parody of something else. It's called I Love Las Vegas. Yeah. And he's ragging on Sinatra. And he his voice is just so smooth. It's just, let me play a little bit of it. Because my money's here. I love Vegas when I'm winning mm, I love it when I lose I love Vegas 
like the army loves its manuals. I love Vegas like Sinatra loves Jack Daniels. I, I love Vegas. He just sounds so cool. That's he's top shelf, baby. Yeah. Uh, you were telling a story earlier about when Elvis came over to the Martin's house. I don't oh, know. yeah. No, it was Dean took his kids to go see Elvis in concert. Dean is friends with Elvis. You know, um, they've met a few times. Um, they're very fond of each other. They go backstage and Elv- and, and uh, Dean Martin's little girl says, here's Elvis, you know, prime time. And he looks down at her and he said, you know, they call me the king of rock and roll, but your dad's the king of cool. Like, who, like can you imagine Elvis saying that I ain't shit and your dad's like yeah. everything? And she was, she was like, I don't even know what my dad did, you know? And, but here's like, I'm a, I'm a child and Elvis is telling me that my dad's the king of cool. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. That being said, like, you know, Dean Martin is the only performer to be given three separate stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. For film, television, and music, he's the only one with all three. With all three, huh? That's well, Dean's got a great story. He's part of the Rat Pack. Yeah, he's a big part of the Rat Pack. I think he's he's uh, one of the better points. He's one of the better. He sells it. He's one of the better guys in it. Let's put it like that. All right, cool. So you want to move on to Sammy, Sh- Dave, Sammy Davis Jr.? Yeah, Mister Show Business himself. Sammy was born December eighth, nineteen twenty-five. This man was in show business the day he could talk. You know, he never spent a day in school. Yep. Yeah, I never went to school. You That's know? amazing. Um, his uncle and his father had him dancing in their group, the William Maston Trio, at such a young age. They were calling him a midget. They were said like he was a child. They were saying, he was, they were saying he was a midget. That's funny. They were they were up and down up and down town. Like they were a huge act in Harlem. They're huge everywhere. A very young, very young Sammy Davis Jr. met Frank Sinatra, and uh, Frank pulls him aside. Yeah, like, 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 like Sammy was like ten years old, and Frank was like eighteen. You know, and he was like, "Yo, kid, keep on doing what you're doing because you got it." Yeah, you know, he was just born to be on stage. Like he's, a, he's another natural performer, and, and honestly, he might be one of the most, actually, the most talented guy. In all these guys who we're talking about, dude, he he could sing, he could do it he all, dance, he could play drums, he could do impersonations, he just had everything. You watch, know? Watching a lot of the videos of him doing the research for this, I could watch him tap dance, sure. like for hours. Yeah, it's just it's just fascinating. Yeah, you know, um, and he was like a, a quick draw guy. Yeah, there's footage of him yeah. playing around with a gun. He's like yeah. tap dancing and twirling a gun at the same time and singing. Of course. <laughs> you know, it's like only and he's doing it with one eye. Yeah. <laughs> and he could draw he could draw his gun in four tenths of a second and wow. shoot it. Yeah. That's pretty fast. I don't know if he could hit anything because he has that one eye. But. You know, Sammy was in show business for like twenty five years before he even got any recognition for anything. You know, Sammy was playing like Vegas here and there with his with his father and his uncle but you know once they were done on stage they had to leave the hotel yeah they're they're headlining at the new frontier hotel and it was selling out and they were huge but they're dealing with all the same racist bs like they they had to stay at a really uh rundown part of town they mm-hmm. couldn't stay in any of the hotels that they were playing in really really crappy yeah. yeah, it had to be hard you know it was a hard being an entertainer those days people love you on your stage but when you're not on that stage you gotta get lost you know it's very sad. You know, um, 
Sammy's the only one that went into the army out of the Rat Pack. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was in one of the first integrated platoons. He said he got the shit beat out of them every day. Bunch of shit kickers just like torturing yeah, they them. They paint him a white paint and all that. Yeah. He That's- said the only defense he had was doing impressions and or dancing or he'd make all the white guys like laugh and then all the black guys would hate him for it. Yeah. His father really kept him away from that side of humanity of you know the racism and everything like that you know because he said he never experienced anything it like is a that shame, like, man, it, there's, when, there's when some, the army there's some really sad heavy racist things in his story oh, oh, sure. like, but when he gets out of the army he gets back in the will maston trio yeah and then sinatra hires him to be his opening act yeah and because sinatra remembered it just just cool yeah i always said sinatra looked at him as like a little brother i did too you know, and it goes into the next part of, of Sammy's story. Sammy was in a really bad car accident. The accident was so bad, it took his left eye. He was taken to a hospital where the accident was, not too far from his house. And it was a black hospital where you, you couldn't get any help for anything. Yeah, he was so, like, he was like in a, on a bed, like in the hallway or something. Yeah. Where you see a doctor. Frank Sinatra was in like Palm Springs and he, and he heard about it. And he jumped in his car and drove about like a hundred miles yeah. to get Sammy. So he drove a hundred miles, got Sammy, drove back a hundred miles, put him in his own house, and got him his own care. I mean, obviously, they couldn't save his eye, but Sammy got the best help that Frank could get him. That's a friend. I like you said, like he always thought he was like his big brother, and he got. He got him a card that was an eye chart. He's like, oh, here he go. I said, get well, but it was set up like an eye chart. And he was also kind of part of the like the original Rat Pack, the, like Bogart. Yeah. Like he was hanging out with Bogart and those guys. But um, yeah, Who Sammy so, was. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like when he after he loses an eye, his eye, I mean, he starts. He was doing shows like within two months. He was back out he playing with an eye yeah, patch, he, and they said that Sinatra and Dean Martin would get on stage. And they would wear eye patches so they wouldn't single yeah. them out. And you could see the video of um, he goes back. It was like w- less than a year. He gets a a, a two week gig back at that casino, the New Frontier, and he comes out on stage on opening night and he takes the eye patch off. And it, somebody recorded it. Yeah, and it's like, and it's like it's pretty heavy, man. And you're just like, yeah. wow. And like you know, he just stands there, and the crowd goes bonkers. Yeah. And they said by the end, like everybody was crying, yeah. and it was really cool. It was really yeah, cool to watch. I, I did see it. I didn't see that. Yeah, I, I'm going to nail. Yeah, um, you know, after Sammy's surgery, um, he taught himself how to dance again and got his got himself together. And you know, he he went solo after that, and he he did pretty well. He was still getting a lot of racism from Hollywood. Um, he wasn't getting work because he was black. He was he wasn't getting work because they were saying, oh, he wasn't a good dancer or he wasn't he wasn't better than this or he was better than that. They were just giving him bullshit because he was a black guy and he had a lot of controversy around him he was like going uncharted charted territory you know he, inter- he had two interracial marriages yeah, like, and- didn't help him out well fuck them you know like i'm not going to change because they don't because they're going to book me this is the person that i love and this is what i'm going to do and if you don't like it then i'll somebody yeah, out there you- somebody else is going to want to see it yeah he know? married a woman named molly bricks yeah um she was swedish she didn't understand the rat pack she didn't. She didn't like how they would make fun of Sammy on stage. You know, I, I felt I seen some of that footage, and I we even br- briefly talked about it before we started the show. I don't know 
you know, friendship is friendship and ball breaking is ball breaking. And like, if, you know, if you can't take it, then find better, good luck finding better but you, friends. But again, you have to remember the times. I understand They're all first generation American. Everybody I, made yeah. fun of everybody. Yeah. But I think a lot of the times that he, he was used as the butt of the joke and yeah. you see it during the shows. And, you know, even though, you know, they, all these guys were, you know, pretty, you know, liberal for their time and spoke their minds and, Frank definitely did whatever he whatever he thought yeah. was right. I still think that they played up to that during the live shows and made sure they point out that he was a black guy, pointed out that he was a Jewish guy, pointed out that well, he had one they, eye. You know, well, like they, there's that part where Sammy, it's like, "Why are you guys always picking on me?" And Dean Martin goes, "You're black. You got one eye. You're Jewish." And you're short. Yeah, no, I get it. You know, yeah. like, no, it's hilarious. Like you're, you know? you're a loaded gun. You know, but it's just I do feel that they they use that as his ethnicity as a crutch for comedy. Well, to he keep was the show the, going. He was definitely the most talented out of all of them. No, and I if agree anything with that. helped yeah. him back was his color of his skin, which is yeah. bullshit. The, the interracial relationships, man. That, that's to me where this this whole story of the Rat Pack just gets like so crazy because I mean yeah. he was so he got engaged to my Brit that that actress and. She lost her record, her studio contract yeah, yeah. over that. They canned her, and then um, I said they were in London, where where racism wasn't. It's not as big as of a thing as it is in America as it was in America mm-hmm. at the time. But they were there were people outside like heckling him, calling him the N word. Yeah, and they said he had to hire like around the clock security. Yeah, it was really shitty. But like the Kennedy. They asked him to postpone his wedding. Yeah, until yeah. after yeah. the election because they uninvited him to the. Inauguration, inauguration or yeah. all the work that he did for JFK. Yeah. And then it's like they said, sorry, the N word. Yeah. You and gotta it, you gotta leave by the back door. And he said and she was like, What? Like yeah, it was like it. she was Swedish. She didn't get it. And she right, didn't even understand. And he had his another like in the mid fifties, he started seeing Kim Novak, another mm-hmm. another actor who was like huge. And like at that time, like interracial marriage was still like it was illegal yeah. in like half the yeah. country. Yeah. And um, they were dating in secret, and they said that like if his if a driver was taking them somewhere, he would have to lay down on the floor of the car with a blanket over him, so nobody yeah. would see them together. Yeah. And um, what a horrible way to live. Yeah, they yeah. said he had to have like a private phone put in at the Sands, so people wouldn't know that he was calling her. And the media found out, and then her movie studio found out. And the story is that like Columbia Pictures, man, the head Harry Cohen had ties with the mob, and he called in a hit on Sammy Davis Jr. for dating this, I heard oh, that. My, my white act, my white female actress who's the star, and that, that um, Mickey Cohen went to Sammy Davis Jr.'s dad and was like, hey, man, he better call this off. We're going to kill him, and we're going to kill you, too. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like, um, somebody from the Rat Pack went to Sam G. and Kana and asked, like, dude, can you, can you help me? And he was like, I, I don't have any reach in Hollywood. So Sammy then goes, like, they were like, well, you better marry a black woman. Like tomorrow, or yeah. or you're gonna yeah. kill you. So he said he found like this woman, Laurel White, that he used to work with, and he offered her twenty five thousand dollars to marry him. And she was like, okay. But he got um, they got they it didn't last very long. They said like Sammy got really really drunk uh, like, at, at the wedding, wedding, and he tried to strangle her. Yeah, that night <laughs> they got divorced like really short after. But it was like somebody threatened to kill him over who he was dating. It's just like. It's it's you know it, what a complicated it's so complicated right and like 1955 you know? man wasn't it, it wasn't no. that long ago no you know? no I think no, about that often like you think your dates and everything like that I'm like man that's not that long ago yeah but dude we're also in 2021 yeah. now yeah. so it after, was long ago 
after the JFK snub, he automatically started playing Martin Luther King gigs. Um, he got Frank to play with him. He got Dean to play with him. They raised a lot of money for Martin Luther King. Sammy starts doing Broadway. Sammy really loved the 60s. Like, really loved the 60s. Yeah, he did. He, he said he took acid. He, he partied. You know, he did a lot of coke. Um, Crazy not to. There's some weird sex stories about him, like that he was going to these group sex parties with JFK. You know, I'll cut that out. Actually, I, could, I actually read that also. Yeah. I read that also. Yeah, you got to leave that shit in here. That's what makes right. it so it's special. They said that like there's rumors that he joined the Church of Satan. There was all kinds of like, I remember really, that really crazy stuff with him. You know what? That makes me want to hear Candyman. Can you play Candyman? <laughs> yeah, man. Sweet chocolate, chocolate malt, candy, gumdrops, anything you want. You've come to the right man because. I'm the candy man. Who can take a sunrise? Sprinkle it with you. Cover it with chocolate and a miracle or two. The candy man. Who the candy man can. The candy man can. That was a huge hit. Yeah, like I remember hearing that. That version, that recording, very, very, very young. His like, voice has very that, that vaudeville sound to it. Like when he holds a note, it's more like it goes up and like, Aah! you know, it's like up and down where it's like yeah. Sinatra and Dean Martin, like they hit a pitch and they hold it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like a different, I could almost just see him like tap dancing. like. Yeah. But, that's his back, but that's his background. Is that vaudeville yeah. background. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know? Just saying it just, you know, I don't, I don't know how far into his career that song came out, but it's like you just. It you, was it was for, it was like right after Charlie Chalk Factor came out. Okay. So, so you got to think it's like. Oh, so yeah. it came out afterwards? Oh, yeah. I was, oh, I, it I came it was in, before. No, no, it came okay. in afterwards. Because the movie was such a hit. He's like, yo, I got to do this song. And they're like, really? He's like, yeah. no, this He's song like, yeah, could be man. a hit. I thought <laughs> yeah, was, baby. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, with his, um, the racial stuff, too. As they said, like in the 55, like he starts making money and he wants to move into Hollywood. And everyone's like, you know, you your, your neighborhood's down here. And he bought Judy Garland's old house. Yeah. And he said, like, everybody, like, the entire neighborhood was all white. And they were all like, what? You know, like, and he just didn't care. Well, who doesn't want to live next to Sammy Davis Jr., man? A, a bunch that's of a, racist. That's crazy. But that's crazy. White America. You saw, you just saw him last night. You paid 80 bucks to go see him. And you right. don't want him next but you don't to want him. him. You don't want him in your, you know. That's bullshit, man. I know. It's crazy. And it's like the Hollywood elites doing the same thing. It's not, it's, we talked about the. The uh, Mississippi delegates from the yeah. 1960 election calling him names, yeah. but this now is... you got you got all these celebrities, and he's still like, that's when he's hanging out with like Bogart, like he's hanging out with all those people. Yeah, I don't know, man. I it's it's all bullshit. So like the 70s roll around, and Sammy's in movies, he's on TV, he was on All in the Family, which was a yes. huge thing. Yes. That was like the biggest kiss ever when he kissed Archie Bunker. Yeah, apparently the biggest kiss ever on television. Yeah, yeah so he's, that was a big deal. No right. matter what color or whatever, you know, yeah, it was like the biggest kiss ever on. Television. So I didn't, I didn't have this in my notes, but right, so he was on an episode of All in the Family, and they're trying to get Archie Bunker to take a picture with Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy left his uh, briefcase in. Archie's cab because I guess he was driving a cab one time so he comes over to get it and apparently there was you know Archie's being Archie being like narrow minded that he was that people found hilarious which I find hilarious that people find bigotry hilarious so and um, Sammy just went to roll with it and he's like oh you you, you want to get a picture and he's like oh or me me had wanted to get a picture or whatever yeah. and then kisses Archie right on the cheek yeah yeah, I watched that. That was like one of the, the top things in America TV history. You know, um, like like I said, 
Sammy was partying hard. Sammy was partying so hard, Bill Cosby had to give him an intervention. <laughs> and, and now, knowing what we know now, now it just... yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, oh yeah, he he he, he was doing. All kinds of shit, you know? <laughs> By the 1980s, uh, Sammy was a legend. Started to get the love and that he deserved. The, he was a living legend. Um, he got a TV special for his 60th anniversary in show business. He couldn't sing because of his illness, but got up and danced. He died of throat cancer, didn't he? He died yeah. of throat cancer. Yeah. He got up and danced with Gregory Hines. I remember that. And I do remember it that. It was kick ass. Yeah, I do remember that. I watched that. it this week. He was in a movie. Wasn't he? It was movie? called Tap. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I do remember. Man, I do remember that. Yeah. Sammy died owing millions to the IRS. Really? But I knew who Sammy was, too, yeah. from the Cannibal Run movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering when we were going to talk about the cannon roll. I was, I was waiting for it, too. I was but like, that was Sinatra's a, in there, too. Yeah, that was the last time they all appeared on camera together, yes. the second film. Yes. Dean, Sinatra, and uh, Sammy. Sammy, you know. Joey Bishop couldn't drive. He's definitely one of the, if not the talented one out of the Rat Pack. You know, I don't know who's more talented than he is. He's another one that I he's being forgotten. These The first two we talked about, I mean, Sinatra is Sinatra. But even that, like I mean, and Dean Martin, I think he's clinging on with a couple Christmas songs, and we talk about I that. I don't next know, time. man. Dean Martin. Really? Super do you think? Cool. Do you think people know? I, do you yes. Think people know. Yeah, Dean Martin? I, I'm going to say yes. Okay. But uh, w- before we uh, close this with Sammy Davis Jr., one thing that I found interesting: I, maybe his last wife that he was married to might have been black, and they were the first black couple to stay overnight at the White House in 1985. I want to say. Yeah, so, he slept in Lincoln's. R- Bedroom, bedroom. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And again, like in 1985, like it took yeah. that long for that yeah. to happen. Before we stop talking about Sammy, um, Sammy's got a really, really popular song. He didn't write it, obviously, but it's called Mister Bojangles. Yeah, this was interesting when you were sharing some of the stuff about this. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing this. Yeah, let's play a little bit of the song first. All right, let's set the stage. Here's some Mister Bojangles. In worn-out shoes With silver hair A ragged shirt And baggy pants He would do the old soft shoe He could jump so high Jump so high And then he lightly Touchdown. So I'm going to tell a story about Mr. Bojangles. I've heard that song before. That You said that's a cover? It is a cover. Um, I can't tell you who does it off the top of my head. Okay. Um, but yeah, but Sammy does a way better job, more justice to the words to it. Mr. Bojangles is a guy named Bill Robinson. Bojangles is Southern for mischief maker. He was a real hellraiser as a child. He had a group, uh, a, a comedy routine group with a guy named Cooper, and they were called Cooper and, and Robinson. They were part of Harlem's golden age. Um, Harlem was like the place to be back in the 40s and the 50s. Mr. Robinson was the first black performer on Broadway. During the Depression, he paid a lot of people's bills in Harlem, took care of a lot of um, communities. 
you know, he his first roles in movies, he played a lot of films were like below his intelligence. He played a lot of slaves, helpers, janitors, stereotypical characters. He was a very intelligent man. If you don't know who he is, if you ever see you ever see any Shirley Temple movies, yeah. He's the black gentleman that dances with Shirley Temple okay. in all the movies. He was in sixteen movies with her. He was had no children of his own, but he treated Shirley Temple like his own daughter. You know, on in a movie, a black man holding a little girl's hand, a little white girl's hand, dancing. That's a big, big step, you know, in all those years. In 1943, President Roosevelt demanded Hollywood to hire more black entertainers. Um, 20th Century Fox directed a movie called Stormy Weathers. Um, it was a huge black cast led by Bill Robinson. It was a huge success. The stormy weather got him back in his tux that he's usually in on his Harlem dance nights, showing probably how truly his personality was being milestone. He was a movie star. He had many friends, including Ed Sullivan, Milton Berle. When he died, oh, before he died, on his 61st birthday, he had a party dancing down 61st Street in New York City. It was a World's Fair, and billions of people came out and watched him. When he died... Um, he died of a massive heart attack at a really young age. He wasn't even like 60. A million and a half people showed up to Mr. Bojangles' funeral, straight out to Harlem to Brooklyn. He, he died penniless. Ed Sullivan paid for his funeral. Check this out. His ball bearers for his coffin were Duke Ellington, Joe Lewis, boxing champion, Bob Hope, Jackie Robinson, and Joe DiMaggio. It's pretty amazing. And I don't know anything about the guy. And that just shows how much effect he had on America or pop culture or entertainment in his lifespan. And that song, man, I I listened to it. I said, I've heard it before. I thought Jim Croce had done it, but it was actually actually a guy named Jerry Jeff Walker. Yeah, who sounds like Jim Croce. But the, the Sammy Davis version's like, it's it's sad sounding. Well, Sammy said he hated singing it towards the end of his career because it reminded him himself so much. He's like, I'm turning into this character. I agree with that. I see that. Yeah, you know, it was like a sad ending for him because he he knew how it ended. Really, interesting. but yeah, I always heard the name Mister Bojangles, but I wanted to know who he really was. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I like to do that kind of stuff on the show. Yeah, like, man, you did it last with the U two one too with yeah. the um the Satan and Adam stuff. I, I, I just always try to find something interesting. Yeah, little nuggets, man. That's why we're here to educate and entertain. Yeah, so I think that's that's the big three of the, the Rat Pack, right? So we got two more guys to talk about. And, yeah, let's talk know. about um Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford was a pretty interesting person. He was somebody I didn't I didn't really know almost anything about. And I, I did a little bit of research on him, and um, you know, pretty pretty interesting dude. Late on us, Bruce. He was born in like a scandal, so his yeah. uh, his parents were his dad was an officer in the British military, I believe. Peter moved around a lot growing up. Um, the scandal was had something to do with with his parents being broke, like they they act like they had money, but they were really broke and like lived off the, their person their reputation, I believe. But once they the socialites found out they were broke. They were blacklisted. So they're basically playing the part of like, oh, we're we're, rich. we're wealthy, yeah. we're wealthy, and, and we don't have anything. And they and, weren't married when they were born, okay. no. or when they when they had him. Mm. So, and I guess when he was some sort of military uh, higher up, and so they had to go to they moved to America. Yeah, um, you know, Peter 
didn't finish high school either, like a lot of the Rat Pack, like all the Rat Packers. Um, he did a lot of jobs working as a teenager. Peter was working at a country club at one point. He was parking cars, and he was taking a break. He was hanging out with the Black Help. He, he, you know, he's English. He doesn't know any difference. He doesn't care about racism. And one of the uh, people that belonged to the, the country club got really pissed off that he was hanging out with these black guys. Try to get him fired. Try to get him fired. And you know who it was? Joe Kennedy. His future father-in-law. Yeah, Joe yeah. Kennedy. It's like 15 years after that, he'd be his father-in-law. Peter was basically put, how they called, plucked off the streets of Hollywood. It was obvious that he was English. Um, so Hollywood had a role for him. In like basically every film they had, <laughs> everything he's like, oh, English guy. Because yeah, everybody they needed, yeah, because yeah, everybody was off, yeah. to, at the war, yeah. So, and they That's needed, true. yeah, yeah. I mean, while everybody was at the war, you know, Peter is partying Hollywood. That's when he meets Frank Sinatra. Um, at this point, Peter is a bigger, bigger star than Frank at this time when they first met. Peter was a huge um, movie star, and Sinatra was like on the down low at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like on that down part of Sinatra's career. Well, he like when he gets into movies, his mom decide like his mom borrows money from like a friend, and they move to Hollywood, and tries to get him into movies. And when he gets a, the studios all need uh, British actors for their movies because they're trying to make war movies too because it's, it's yeah, going on, yeah. and they don't have any British actors. And his mom starts insisting that. She get hired as well to be his manager, and the guys at MGM are like, "No, no, we're not doing it." So she goes, she goes right to the head of MGM and says, "Oh, my son's um, a homosexual, and you need to hire me because I need to keep it. You need to keep an eye on him because he's going to do all this crazy no shit. Is she the shit bag of the week? All this homosexual stuff because you know, God forbid, what what they're doing. So yes. yeah, so you know, which is which was fabricated. He does wind up getting the the contract, and then he doesn't. He's not in the war because he's also. 4F because he had a, a deformed arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He hurt his arm or something. He said, like, run into a glass door or something. Yeah, but he was, it didn't stop him from making all those war films. Yeah. He was in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, you're right. He was like making all these movies. He was like a playboy. He was, yeah. he was good looking mm-hmm. and he was hanging out with all these stars and yeah. he was hanging out in Vegas and all the cocktail lounges and stuff before the red, the other guys all get oh, there. Oh, yeah. Um, his big break was it happened in Brooklyn. That was when Peter and in Sinatra's first film together. They, it, was, it was like Gangbusters. It was a big hit. Peter was credited for his dancing and singing in the film. Peter Lawford was dating Ava Gardner, and Frank Sinatra was having an affair with Lana Turner. Lana Turner wants Frank to leave his wife. Frank won't do that, so he calls off the affair with Lana Turner, and then he falls in love with Ava Gardner. Wow. So he's kind of backstabbed Peter Lawford here. Dude, from what I understand, Peter Lawford, out of this whole story... Gets a short end and stick from everything from Everybody his mother, yeah. his mother to whoever he's dating to the Joe Kennedy the Sinatra. To, to Sinatra. Yep, boy, keep yeah, it he going. Gets, yeah. He gets shafted here a lot. Let's just jump into it. You know, he yeah. married into the Kennedys, um, Patricia Kennedy. Her father was not happy that he married, but that she married an Englishman. Like I said, Joe Kennedy's a piece of shit. Um, he's a shit bag of the week. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, oh, you're marrying a Brit and an actor? Yeah. So, oh, G- Joe, how'd you get your money? Oh, I, I, I smuggled booze. I bootlegged yeah. everything. All right, Joe. Well, Joe, you know, Joe's the one that forced Peter to 
get his friends to campaign. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Kennedy. Yeah. Um. So Peter start, just used man. Peter start using everybody else. Peter Good. start using people to 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 uh, campaign for Kennedy. You know, Peter Lawford was the first one that owned the script of Ocean Eleven. Yeah, I didn't know he, that. He he sold it to Sinatra. Very nice. They made the movie. They became quick friends. They were uh, together at at the Sands every night. Peter played the bartender while everybody was singing or like that. He was just happy to be there. Um, yeah, Lawford uh, got a cut of Ocean's Eleven. And he got the start. Yeah. yeah, he he gets the the script, or a friend of his wrote it, and he goes to Sinatra and. Sinatra pitches at the Warner Brothers, and then Sinatra lands them all. Yeah, gigs, and he throws Peter Lawford a bone by giving him like one of the lead roles. Yeah, for, for doing that. Yeah, nice. we were talking about how Peter got the shaft after JFK wouldn't stay with Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. from the Rat Pack. You know, Peter's career went downhill, but Peter had a really good thing going with Jimmy Durante. He had uh, like a, a TV show with J- the Jimmy Durante. Um, you know, you know who Jimmy Durante is. Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 they they were really like like really close, like father and son. They had really success together. Yeah, I felt I felt bad for Peter Lawford through this whole story. Yeah. Just hearing it, um, all this, man. Yeah, yeah. Said he was um, JFK. You know, he was a big womanizer, and we all know he was with Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to yeah. talk about. Um, JFK would use Peter's house to bang Marilyn, and like you know. Sneak in and sneak out of his house while he, he was the president. That famous of, of her singing "Happy Birthday" at JFK's forty fifth birthday. Yeah, like he introduces her. Oh, the one Peter Lawford like, does. Yeah, says like, yeah. You know, oh no have, shit. So, yeah, I mean, Peter gets exiled from from the Rat Pack because JFK wouldn't stay with with uh, Frank in California. Well, that and also like you know, Kennedy turns back on Sinatra and. You know, got him in trouble with the mob and this and that. So yeah. he cut all of his ties with everything he had to do with. Unfortunately, he was one of them. Cut whole ties. He also really he blamed himself for Marilyn Monroe's suicide. I, I did read that. Who Lofter did? Yeah, yeah, I think he. Um, Why? I think she was staying at his house a week before she killed herself, and she tried to commit suicide at his house, and he did nothing about and, it. And and they. Whatever, and then she went home, and then six days later, she committed suicide. And yeah, he, he always he felt that guilty always, that yeah. he didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, because he knows that his brother-in-law <laughs> took care of her. Seriously, yeah. 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 Who knows? He's yeah. he's probably scared for his own life. Can you really? imagine this guy? He's he, he's got the shirt on his stick. Man. He did. Everybody used him from Joe Kennedy to Sinatra. I think the only person that didn't use him was Dean Martin and Sammy Davis. Yeah, yeah. and especially if the story's true that like his wife was sleeping with Sinatra too, it's just yeah. you know like and who Pat Kennedy? Yeah, the rumor was that Pat Kennedy was, was really having an affair with Sinatra. Were they married? Sinatra slept with everybody. Yeah. Were, were they married yeah. throughout their whole yeah. lives? Yeah. I don't know if they. I don't know how oh, long they were married. I don't know. Was they that, were married at the time that was going yeah, yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Was that like the revenge thing? Like I don't know. Like you, they said you screwed me out, JFK. Now I'm going to screw your wife. They said apparently the FBI had a recording of Sinatra going like, "Yeah, I'm banging her." Was telling mm-hmm. Sam Giancana like, "Oh, I'm banging her to get get in favor with JFK," mm-hmm. which is just like, "Come on, man." Peter Lawford died in like 1984 of liver and kidney disease, probably all the heart. All these guys died of liver disease and fucking. A lot you know, of hard, hard living, man. Right, throat cancer. cancer. Right. So we don't have any songs to play by him because he he wasn't a singer, but he was like Ryan said, he was on the stage a lot on those Rat Pack shows. They actually set a bar up on the stage while they were doing their thing, yeah. and he would always be there, kind of mixing the drinks. And yeah, yeah. Kind of hanging out. He would get up and do like spoken word. Like in his English accent, yeah. and everybody yeah, get a kick out of it. Yeah, yeah. He would just 
just read the drink menu and everybody be like, oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> so we got one more person in the Rat Pack to talk about, and that's Joey Bishop. Mr. Joey Bishop is from South Philadelphia, not too far from where we're at right now. Um, he had a, his father had a bike shop on Seventh and Snyder. That's like walking distance that's, from where yeah, we are. Yeah, it's not yeah. too far. From I, didn't, I never far. knew that that yep. he was at. That yeah. he was from yep. South Philadelphia. Joey Bishop was a great comedian. Even as as a kid, he would make everybody laugh at school, and he had great reputation. Yeah, I think he went to South Philadelphia High School, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. I think he's the only one that graduated high school actually, out, of, out of all those dudes. I, actually, he didn't graduate from high school. He dropped out his last semester before his last semester started oh. his senior year. He dropped out. What a dumbass! <laughs> I know. You only have a couple more I months know. to go. But anyway, Bishop went into the army, and he and he made first rank special service squad, which is a big deal. Yeah, it was like, like he he was like in charge of a bunch of men. Yeah, you know, he's a smart guy. He was he was a very smart guy. Who had who Joey Bishop gave one of his first starts with Regis Feldman. Yeah, he had a talk show with Regis. It's the Bishop show or Joey Bishop and Regis show or something like that. Uh, uh, yeah, the Joey Bishop show, and I think it. Gave the Carson show run for its money. It was like his its competitor show really? for for a few years. Yeah. Well, before that show, um, he was guest host tonight show. He guest host Joey Bishop guest host a hundred and seventy five times on tonight show. Yeah, within five between seventy one and seventy six. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that until we started doing research on yeah. this. Yeah, he was quite accomplished. The, the story about that he gets into the Rat Pack was interesting too because. Um, Sinatra was working on Ocean's Eleven, and he was the subject of a Friars Club roast. Mm-hmm. And one of the roasters bailed out, so they asked Joey Bishop to fill in. They said Joey Joey Bishop just Sinatra loved it, yeah, yeah. and was just thought he killed it. And then uh, was like, "This kid's going to be a star. This guy's going to be a star." And asked him to be in Ocean's Eleven. Well, he had his first stage debut opening for Sinatra. Oh, okay, also. okay. But yeah. like, that's what's funny with all the uh, these other guys involved yeah. here. They all started out opening for Sinatra. Yeah. 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 They yeah. say I guess in the Rat Pack show, he was like the MC. He would be like the introduction yeah. and the kind of the Well, they said that Joey Bishop wrote all the song. I mean, the, the, scoop. they say Joey Bishop wrote all the jokes that those guys were saying on stage. He would be like whispering into their ears as the routine was going on. Who knows what he was telling them to say? And who, you know, they were saying so much crazy shit on stage. I wouldn't be surprised, like, half of the things that they were saying, Joey Bishop told them to say. Hey, it's, enter- it's you know? entertainment. It probably did happen. You know, there was one time, you know, Frank said, I was like, Cookie, give me a joke. Give me a joke to say, because I, I feel like I'm not saying anything. Joey Bishop, all right, here, say this joke. Say it like this. Okay, does it. Frank Sinatra goes out there, does it. The joke bombs. And he goes, Joey, what's up? He's like, Frank, you're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but Joey Bishop, South Philly's own. Yeah, I heard. I've read a couple other little minor things on him. Um, Sinatra asked him to fill in at his uh, the lodge, the, the casino that Sinatra owned in Lake Tahoe, Tahoe, Lake Tahoe. I'd love to go to Lake Tahoe. Joey Bishop said he would do it, but he wanted fifty thousand dollars in a private jet, and Sinatra doesn't like other people telling him what to do. So they kind of boot him out of the Rat Pack, and. Um, they drop him from Robin and the Seven Hoods, the movie, and wow. then they cast Bing Crosby to play that role instead. Really? Joey Bishop was also the last one to die out of the Rat he Pack. Was, he died yeah. in 2007. Yeah. Wow. And um, I guess in the last years of his life, I, I read some interviews with him, and he, uh, he, was, he was getting kind of bitter. He said he was the star of the Rat Pack, and everyone else, being a part of that group 
overshadowed everything that he did. And I mean, I guess that's a fair point, man, because out of everybody, he's he's. Yeah, he's the last one we're doing. We're talking about, sure. you know? Yeah, but he, you know, like I said, he was a cornerstone of a talk the show, behind the scenes guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. Like like Ryan said, like he definitely wrote a lot of jokes. All the guys, but you're you got to look like who you're going up against. Let's be oh yeah, let's sure, be realistic sure. here. You got Sinatra, D. Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr. How do you stand up against yeah. those guys? Yeah. You could be the he, and he probably is the funniest guy out of all those guys. But come on, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, he definitely Joey. played little fiddle. As we were talking, I typed in Joey Bishop in Spotify, and mm. there's an album listed here. Play, play something. It's by called him. Joey Bishop Sings Country Western. Nice. Only three of the, you know, they have like that little rating yeah, system, yeah, yeah. and none of the songs have more than one bar. So, all right, I'm just gonna yeah, entertain pick, us. Pick something. I hope it's fantastic. This is called "Take These Chains from My Heart." set me free You've grown cold and no longer care for me Sounds like a South Philly guy singing yeah. <laughs> Pardon me <laughs> So that's uh, that's Joey Bishop That's Joey Bishop so that's, South Philly's own Joey Bishop That's the Rat Pack man so that was a that's a crazy story Man and, what a and, bunch of stuff there yeah, really cool, man. I really enjoyed doing the, yeah, this uh, the one research was fun. on this one. This so. one was a lot of fun. So we got some um, we got some listener feedback. I think Ryan has actually heard from Omar. I have heard from Omar. He sent this. He sent me an email. Awesome. Maybe while you're pulling that up, I got a couple things on our U2 episode. So uh, Sean from Atlanta said, uh, I have watched Rattle and Hum a million times. I had it on VHS. The Joshua Tree was also the first album where you two really spent their money on production. Their prior albums were much more simple, which to me brought out their very best of their sound. Many people will say Joshua Tree is their best album ever. I really think it's potato, potato. It's all great music. Okay. Totally agree. And then uh, Scott Dribben, who is uh, constantly uh, commenting on our stuff on Facebook and uh, listens to us, said, uh, The Joshua Tree is without a doubt the cassette I wore out the most copies of. Hell, I wore out several copies of Rattle and Hum on VHS. The Joshua Tree is on my short list of perfect albums. The Unforgettable Fire is a really close second. I can't think of a track on either one of them that isn't damn near perfect. I agree, man. Joshua Tree yeah. is a perfect album. Yeah, so absolutely. I really enjoyed doing that episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So. Yeah, yeah, I still listen to a lot of the Joshua Tree afterwards. I, I did like, too. I did too. Yeah, really enjoyed Can't it. Get enough of uh, One Tree Hill. So Omar, Omar, um, to our listeners, if you don't know who Omar is, Omar is our friend from Kapur, India. Um, he listens to our show. And he gets in contact with us every once in a while to tell him tell us how he's doing. We became really good friends with Omar. Um, let me see what it says here. It starts off, "Hello, friends. It's me, Omar. I've been working overtime, but been listening regularly. There is a Hall of Fame of rock and roll. This was something I had to look into. Some members of this Hall of Fame are not rock and roll. I agree with you guys. Why is Abbott in the Hall of Fame?" I don't know. We're trying to figure that out too, brother. I can't believe you guys never heard of fellow Cootie. Do you guys live underneath a rock or something? 
Dionne Warwick is a huge star in Kapoor, India. She should be in the Hall of Fame. If ABBA is in the Hall of Fame, then she should be in the Hall of Fame. Wow. Just to put on the record, the Foo Fighters are the greatest band that ever was. Monkey Wrench reminds me of my pet monkey, Little Mick. They share the same energy. I wish he would stop throwing glasses and plates at me. I met a woman online that seemed interested in me. I just got to give her my bank account number, and she will put $100,000 in it. Something seems funny about this whole thing, but, yo, you guys got to see her. She's gorgeous. What do you guys think I should do? Well, let me get back to work. Hope you all live in the best life you can. See you guys around. Keep on rocking, Omar. Omar, don't give anybody any of your information. Yeah, don't do that, Omar. Omar, I don't care how hot she is. Don't give her any money, dude. Yeah. But it's good to hear from you, brother. Yeah, man. Nice to listen to you. I'm sorry that ABBA is so popular. So when we were talking, you were talking that you reached out to one of our podcasts yeah, from so, Pantheon. So I made a mistake. So no. there's another uh, there's another podcast on the Pantheon Network, and our show is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. There's a podcast, another show on there called Make It Stop, a bad music podcast. And they every episode, they take an album or a, an artist, and they just burn it down they destroy it it's very funny the stuff that they do but i somehow i could have swore that they did an episode on kate bush (laughs) so i went on twitter and i at mentioned them from our account at prisoners of rock and said you know we just did an episode on the rock hall and we covered each nominee and we thought of you when we talked about kate bush because we all trashed her we were going to kill one of her songs in our electric chair segment but we didn't want to play any more of her music and they wrote back and said that they are all massive Kate Bush fans. They asked me if I was being sarcastic, and they said that Kate Bush is on par with David Bowie and Prince for them. Erroneous. They said uh, she's honestly one of our most sacred music heroes. So What the fuck is she smoking? So we, we apologize. <laughs> we I do. Said, we apologize. I said that was my uh, Mandela effect moment. Um, I, I, hey, send us some music while you think she is, like... People Please. send us music, and people, I don't, don't, don't want to hear any more And we music. still don't get it. Lady, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, Good man. luck with that. So I just wanted to own up to that. So if you guys listen to us, uh, we we apologize. So the electric chair. Oh, we are here at the electric yeah, chair. Yeah, so we finally made it to the electric chair. So Ryan, I believe it is your turn to kill a song this week. Yes. Um, this song, I've always hated, even though I'm a bartender and I should love this song. Semisonics. Closing time. Oh, how many times do you guys hear this song at the bar? Ugh. Every night at closing? Some, some... Yeah, sometimes I wish I could play it at 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> Is this like a, somebody put this on in the jukebox at the end of the night every, I, every dude, day? I don't even think it makes it. I think we just, dude, just I've, turn it down. I've always hated this song. I hate how he sings. The words suck. And you always got like some white chicks at the end of the fucking night. We go home. Sounds just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, sing right. it. Killing time. We sentence. Well, it's your last call. To death. Oh, yeah. That was a good. That was a good choice, man. That's a rough song. So, that's it, man, for episode fourteen. So, thanks to everybody who's been listening to us out there. You know, we we love hearing all your feedback. You can check us out. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. 
You can get more of all of our episodes. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any platform where you listen to music. You can also check us out at prisonersofrockandroll.com. As I mentioned earlier, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I thought it was pretty cool that uh, Christian Swain, who is the narrator and the man behind uh, Rock and Roll Archaeology, followed us on Twitter this week. That's oh, awesome. awesome. Hopefully, That's hopefully our- he listens to us. We're a huge fan of his work. A huge fan. Really, really cool. Um, you know, if you want to hear some of the music, we we publish playlists to go with every one of these episodes. So we pulled together all this stuff from the Rat Pack, man. There's some really, really cool stuff in here. Check it out, man. It's on Spotify and Apple Music. Definitely go listen to it. You know, and again, special, th- special, and lastly, special, lastly, man, I had too many. I had too many Jack Daniels too, tonight. Too, too many martinis. <laughs> yes. Loosen my bow tie. Lastly, special shout out to Mike Cianci for helping us publish all these playlists. And, you know, of course, to all of you guys for constantly listening to us. Uh, we'll be posting something on social media soon. We got some we got some merch finally. We got yeah, some Prisoners of yeah, Rock and Roll yeah. stickers. So we'll be spreading a good word and we'll we'll be happy to share some with everybody. We'll figure out how to do that easily. So that's it, man. We'll be back in two weeks. We're going to figure out uh, what we're going to talk about next. And to play you guys out, we're going to play a little New York, New York. All right. Lay it on us. Keep on rocking. Keep on kicking. Peace out. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New 